get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. The 2-2 again. Fly ball to center field. Deep Bader at the wall, and he makes a leaping catch to end it. Harrison Bader misplayed one early, makes good there, and the Cardinals finish off game one, a 7-4 win. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That game's forever going to be remembered as Dylan Carlson's breakout game. It started earlier for us here locally, but nationally yesterday was the day that Dylan Carlson officially arrived. Reached reach base in each of his first four plate appearances. Here's the entire list, the entire list of Cardinals hitters since 2012 to reach base at least four times in a playoff game. Matt Holliday, Carlos Beltran, Yadier Molina, Paul Goldschmidt, and yesterday, how about this? Paul DeYoung and Dylan Carlson both reach base at least four times in the game. An unbelievable game for the rookie. That was the breakout appearance we were all waiting for in this kind of a setting. It's not just a random Tuesday game in mid-September. That's when the lights are the brightest, when you needed him to come through, bat and clean up for you, and he came through in a massive way, Jamie. Yeah, this guy's progression is just, I mean, it's skyrocketing right now, and to do it, like you said, on the big stage is, you know, a big national game. All eyeballs now are on playoff baseball. And Dylan Carlson comes out and he gets on base four times. And he was really impressive. His The, the, the hits that he had, that double, I mean, he's just ripping it. It's getting really good contact. And, you know, it, it's a great moment. He's still only 21, mm-hmm. I believe. And so to get this playoff experience when this started, we all thought, well, this is going to be great for him to be around it. Well, no longer do I feel like that. Like, you're in it, man, and you're a big part of it, and you're batting cleanup right now for the St. Louis Cardinals, and you have the opportunity to take this team past the wild card round. So uh, a massive day for him, and Paul DeYoung as well, too. We talked about him at length yesterday, how he maybe looked a little fatigued coming down the stretch, and we don't know the effects of COVID, uh, all these things. And the two days off, he comes back, and he's ripping the cover off the ball, too. Had a fantastic game at the plate, but also, BK, you know, we're texting back and forth last night and tinfoil was probably asleep at the time but he had a fantastic game defensively yeah. he came up huge especially with some great in that plays. ninth inning had a couple of them that really stood out in the ninth inning as well you mentioned his age jamie and i don't think we can overstate how huge it is to have a young player like dylan carlson coming through in that kind of a spot he's 21 
Here's the entire list of players in the last 20 years to do what Dylan Carlson did yesterday, which is reach base at least four times in a playoff game that are younger, younger at the time that they did it than Carlson was yesterday. Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Carlos Correa, Miguel Cabrera. Let me give you those names one more time to <laughs> remind you, this is the company that Dylan Carlson is in after what he did yesterday. The entire list of players in the last 20 years to reach base at least four times in a playoff game that are younger than Dylan Carlson. Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, Carlos Correa, Miguel Cabrera. Is he going to be at the level of those guys in terms of what his career trajectory is going to be? I don't know. But I know that Might if you're better. able to do that, well, <laughs> you never know. I mean, that's potential Hall of Fame status. Yeah, never like, know. We're talking about Miggy, who's one of the best right-handed hitters ever. Juan Soto, who is a legitimate superstar, one of the five to ten best players in baseball right now. Ronald Acuna, who is another yeah. superstar. And Carlos Correa, who hasn't really taken off the way that we thought, but is still a great player that all of us, if that's what his career looks like for Dylan Carlson, we'd take it. That is some rare company that Dylan Carlson put himself into yesterday. And I thought the way that he showed himself early was super important. You could tell right away, Jamie, this dude is just comfortable right now. I don't know what clicked for him. I don't know what it was, whether it was mental, a physical adjustment, whatever it was. But he is clearly so locked in right now in a way that we just didn't see the last time that he was up. What happens with young guys, remember, and I remember, you know, the heck we've talked about it on this show, how you get your call up, your cup of coffee, and you're kind of in awe of the league. You're kind of in awe of everyday big league hockey or uh, baseball. And I think that's what happened at first. Dylan Carlson was like, whoa. And he kind of looked like that towards the end before he got uh, – uh, sent back down to the set, the satellite camp. He looked like he was just not ready yet. Well, then you go down and you think to yourself, you know what? What was I doing? It was not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And you get back up there and now it's like, not only do I think I can play, but I belong here. I belong here. And that to me is what has happened to Dylan Carlson. He's mentally made the, the switch over to, I belong here and this team needs me. And if I strike out, I don't care because I've got a double next time up. I'm not worried about two, three, four strikeouts or not getting on base. I don't care because I know that I'm going to get the bat on the ball and I'm going to make a difference. And to your point earlier about being so young, sometimes that young and dumb is amazing for these big moments. I remember my first playoff game ever. I had a goal and an assist. What the heck is going on? <laughs> what just happened? I didn't even, it was in the moment we were in Phoenix. It was a whiteout. The place was like, people were angry with me. And I was like, this is great. Like too, too young to realize how big the moment really is. And so I think Dylan Carlson, along with how mature he is as a player, I think all of that combined came to a head yesterday. Now, the biggest thing for me is what does he do today? And I don't mean he has to get on base four times. I just want him to look comfortable and look confident. If he can do that, then I think this is a young man that's got it. I'm looking forward to to talking with Rick Sutcliffe later on today because when he said on the broadcast last night that Paddock, like, why the hell is he pitching to Paul Goldschmidt? I wonder if that's because there's a little bit of fear right now with Dylan Carlson. I mean, he was in the cleanup spot, and look, the guy has been hitting great since he's been called up from the satellite camp, but to pitch to Paul Goldschmidt with one on and one out and not take your chances with Dylan Carlson, 
it's got to be a little bit of, yeah. I think I can take the Look, sometimes that's ego where Sutcliffe said it. Like, sometimes people are like, you think you're better. I'm going to show you my fastball. And they did it to Goldschmidt. But Don't a little, know if that's a guy be trained. Yeah. <laughs> but a little bit of it has to be like, do I want to go with Goldschmidt or do I want to go with Carlson for the way that Carlson's Ed, been hitting as of late? Edmund was already on base, yeah. right? So you worry a little bit about now you've put two guys on. And if Carlson just gets a single, Edmund's yep. fast enough. Like, there's a lot of thought. That's why I love playoff baseball. And I, you know, I talk to you guys all the time about how I become a baseball fan this year. That's regular season baseball. I've always tuned in for playoff baseball, and that's the big part that that I love is watching. I don't think it's small ball it's or a strategy or the whatever the heck the it is. I love watching the way teams have to really focus on every single pitch. It's fun. I also love that Goldschmidt, that pitch that you're talking about, Ferrario, it's fastball right down the middle. Yep. Then he goes to Carlson, gives him a fastball on the first pitch. Carlson's looking. He's not even swinging on that one. Then he takes he, he fouls off a curve on the second pitch. Carlson does. Third pitch on the double, a curveball. The type of pitch that has been killing him all year long is the same one that he hits a double on early in this game. That showed you the adjustments that he's made. So now, the next time around, when he comes up again, well, we can't go back to that curveball. So now he's going to be seeing more fastballs. And now for the rest of the series, they know Carlson can hit that. They've seen him make that adjustment. And so it changes the way that they're going to pitch him moving forward. So today, for example, now Davies doesn't have much of a curveball. He throws it like 5% of the time. He's not going to be utilizing that very much. But he's got a nasty changeup. So maybe he goes to that a little less often than he otherwise would have. Maybe he would have thrown almost exclusively changeups to Carlson. He mixes in a sinker now. Carlson has a little bit of damage on that. It, it makes them think a little bit more when Carlson has that type of success early. There was a little concern on my end watching Carlson's last at bat. And you watch the catcher, and he was setting up low every time, just below that strike zone. And you can see he was carrying the glove low, and they put three pitches in that area and Carlson strikes out and we texted in our little group chat there I was like that worries me are they on to something or do they feel at least like they're on to something now hitters like to adjust and hopefully Dylan Carlson can but that was very deliberate that at bat as far as their pitching was very deliberate two sliders and a curve in that at bat sliders will kill them and they were low absolutely and the sliders were what killed him there and Davies doesn't have a slider he's not going to throw a slider today so that helps that's something certainly to, to consider once they get to the pain maybe they start attacking that way though we do need to give a little credit where credit is due Yadier Molina was tremendous yesterday. Oh, boy. Just tremendous. And this is one of those things where we've talked about it a lot this season, Jamie. Yadier is more than just the heart and soul of this team. He's putting it on the field as well. It's not just like this guy is the mascot for the team at age 38 this season. The play where he told Goldie to throw the runner out at third, to cut, cut three, cut three. And they mentioned that on the broadcast, which was great. That was fantastic. Then the foul ball near the Cardinals dugout where he's able to come up with the out there. Huge for them. The single to bring home Carlson in the first that put the Cardinals up 3-0. He's doubled down the line to keep the line moving uh, in the third that eventually led to two runs that inning. Let's not forget. That's, hang on. The rundown. The rundown. Run okay? That was yep. a subtle thing. But when they got stuck in that rundown, Yachty knew the rules enough to know that he could pick which guy he wanted to put out. And, well, the, the 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 trail runner is the one that always goes out on that. Well, but he was looking back and forth. And I think I believe that he 
got the trail runner first on purpose because they were talking about a little bit saying yeah. that he's a better runner, period, dot, than yeah. oven mitt guy and who's then, out there. And then you got the Dikembe Mutombo finger wagon, <laughs> Yachty's yeah. face. Like, I don't know if I'd be doing that with Yachty right now. Yeah. So, anyways, he's just, he is a... a I mean, he's just a mastermind. It's, it's that it's not just the calming sense behind the plate for the pitchers, which we have seen. And I mean, look at what he did with the bullpen yesterday. I mean, what, five and a third scoreless innings yeah. from the bullpen when KK struggles. But it's the calming sense and the leadership on the field defensively. As BK just mentioned, I mean, he's directing guys. You got to have that one guy on the field who can alert everyone where the ball's going. I mean, everyone's professionals out there, but Yachty's the the veteran that knows we can cut him off here or let this guy go. We'll catch this one and get this out. Yachty's the guy that knows where that momentum swing is going to be, and that's what he did multiple times yesterday. Yeah, and Jamie, you mentioned this yesterday, and you were right. There's two sides of this coin, and so this is why typically I don't put a ton of I don't put a ton of stock in the playoff experience and all of that stuff, but with Yachty, it really does matter. And he, you were right on that hundred percent yesterday. Like he does have a calming sense for the rest of the roster. He knows when the time is to make sure that his pitcher is doing the right thing. I, they mentioned this on the broadcast last night as well. Uh, they went out for an early mound visit with KK last night and Rick Sutcliffe said basically, Hey, I think all that's happening here." is there Mike Maddox is going out to Yachty and saying, hey, Yachty, what do you see? Yeah. And then they'll adjust accordingly based on what Yachty sees. Having Yachty or Molina there as basically a coach on the field is what allows that to happen. They make some adjustments. KK settles in a little bit and they're able to go forward from there. So a huge win for the Cardinals had to have that one had to have it. Now they find themselves in a good spot with Adam Wainwright on the mound tonight. Excited to have Cardinals versus Padres game number two right Right here on 101 ESPN pregame coverage coming up at 545 first pitch at 605. We will have Rick Sutcliffe joining us coming up at 1130. We have Joey Vitale at 1215. We're going to talk a little bit of football coming up at one o'clock with our buddy Ben Heisler. But coming up next, Jamie, we disagree with the bullpen or we disagree with each other on the way that Mike Schilt used his bullpen last night. We'll dive into that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Yeah, I mean, those two guys came in and shut the door. Uh, we had their, their best parts of their lineup up with chances to score, and, and we made plays, and, you know, we attacked the zone. I think that was our biggest thing. Uh, our pitchers trusted their stuff and came at those guys, and, uh, you know, just good things happened. We got great defense, so, we, you know, we're always ready to make plays for them, and we want them to attack the zone. Five and a third shutout innings from the bullpen, and, Jamie, I loved it. I loved the way that Mike Schilt used his pin yesterday. He got super aggressive and ever. Everything was pivoting on when Fernando Tatis Jr. was coming to the plate. That was the guy that they were depending their usage on. Shill got aggressive. He brought Helsley into face Tatis with a man on first in the fourth inning. That's when he went to the pen for the first time. Helsley got him out. They go to the next inning with Helsley starting things off. Cabrera comes in in the sixth inning. He struggles. Shill goes with Gallegos. When? When Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back up to the plate, two on, two out. I thought that was the out of the game. Sixth inning, Cardinals up two, two on, two out, and they're able to get him out with Gallegos. Huge out for them. Once again, eighth inning, Tatis comes up to the plate. Once again, it is two on and two out. Reyes comes in to face him, and Reyes gets him out. 
everything pivoted on when Tatis was coming up to the plate. They made sure that they had a fresh pitcher. He did not see the same guy twice in the uh, later innings of the game. That was the way that Schultz was going to use his bullpen in that one. I loved it, Jamie, but I know last night you did not love it the way that he was able to use his pen. I just wasn't a fan of how many pitchers he ended up using. You know, I thought that this game was there to win, and I understand you're trying to, you know, basically you know, put the knife through the skull and, you know, the Doug Armstrong thing. You're trying to make sure you get the win here, but I do think that now you've limited yourself a little bit. Like, let's just say this, okay? And I'm just going to be that guy right now. Let's say Wayno doesn't have a fantastic day. I know. We got Gomber. We got Ponce. What if you got to use both of them? Now what do you got coming back for game three? Like, it's three in a row. I worry that – I worry personally that Mike Schilt got too many guys in there and some of the pitch counts of 21, 21, even Reyes at 16. I know Reyes in a, in a, a position to close out today. I would imagine – and expect that he would be able to go in a ninth inning to close it out if necessary. But still, for me, I felt like I just felt like too many guys got in there. And yeah, there's a strategy behind it, but I don't know. I just wasn't a fan of it. Yeah, I really wasn't either. And look, I mean, of course, this sounds strange now because they win and well, yeah, they you, go they five and a third like an idiot, of shutout. But here's the thing that got me. And I was watching kind of the uh, the game and thinking through this whole thing. At the time that he made that move to go to Ryan Helsley and then Giovanni Gallegos, it was six to two, six to three at that point. I would have liked to see him use somebody not as influential as a guy like Giovanni Gallegos after Ryan Housley in a big lead like oh, that. But that's a huge spot. Yeah, but two I two on two out. And at that point you're up by two, two runs like it. You, you that that was too big of a spot to not go to one of your best pitchers. Yeah, but there. you wasted all of your big pitchers in this game. And look, I, I know that Ponce and Gomber are two very, very strong pitchers right now for this team. But you're going into a scenario right now where what happens if you're in a tight spot with the bases loaded and one out and you need that ground ball like a guy Egos can provide you? He's not going to be available for you there because of the amount of pitches. Then you're going to a guy like Ponce or a guy like Gomber who are very good in that spot. But I want my guys who I know have those splits. So what would you have done? I think that's what I would be curious about. What would you have done instead of what he did yesterday? Honestly, I think I would have probably gone Ponce or Gomber instead of Gallegos there, just so I can keep one of those high leverage guys in a situation for today's game. So if they let's let's go down this path for a second, and then I've I've got a couple other things that I want to get into, but let's go down that path. Let's say that they use Gomber in that spot because they wanted to save Ponce down the road for maybe a more uh, extended usage, right? (laughs) If they use Gomber there and he does not get that out, game might be tied. You know, like that's why I'm going to my big pitcher there, because that might be and I think it was the biggest out of the game. And so in game one, when you've got the biggest out of the game, Fernando Tatis Jr. coming up two on two out up by two, you've got the game potentially on the line there. I'm going to my big gun there. And if it hurts you in game two, so be it. But I mean, he's going to be available. I don't know if you can say so be it because this is three games in a row, one after another. Yeah, he's going to be available for game three. Gallegos, if game three is necessary, will be available. Tonight, you should have Gomber, Ponce, Cabrera, Miller, and Reyes all available. So if you end up going with a short outing from Adam Wainwright, if he struggles and let's say he gets through two, 
Well, then you go to Ponce there and he gives you two innings. And then you go to Gomber there. He gives you two innings. Now you're through six. And for the last three innings, you've still got Cabrera, Miller and Reyes available. Well, let's hope we don't hit extras. Obviously, that's to every equation. We don't want to hit extras. The part that just gets me Oviedo as well. Yeah. Yeah, And you got Cody Whitley in there. So, I mean, you do have other guys that can pitch in big spots for you. It's just if you look at it and again, in hindsight, it doesn't really matter because they won. And that's the only thing you want. But when you look at that box score and you look at that rundown of the pitchers that you you used Gallegos, Cabrera, Helsley, Reyes. I mean, those are your four big guys. And yes, you can still use those guys, but I just, I think when it comes down to it, and again, maybe you lose. Maybe you don't have those pitchers. And, and then what it. do you do today? Now, now you might be screwed. But that's the part that gets me. If you're in a tight spot today where you want to close this series out, I want my big throwers there rather than guys that you're just not too sure about. If they're in a spot where they're going to close things out today, Reyes will be out there. Ray, if well, Reyes, yeah, but yeah, you're not going to have Gio available. Giovanni Gallegos is probably the only one that pitched yesterday, like that that you guys are talking about, that will not be available. Probably Helsley too. Helsley potentially Helsley as well. But plus, that's, I mean, yeah. that, and that's, that's just okay. the, that's just the part for me of how do we get to Reyes? Like, and look, if Wayno gives you seven, then that's phenomenal. But. It, it, you use the guys that you're saying that you would have used last night. Like that's that's what you do. You use yeah. Ponce and you use Gomber. I just I don't know. I look at it and Andrew Miller was set up there to blow up at one point. So the discuss- <laughs> I was worried about that. The one. discussion we're having right now, which to Alex's point is kind of a moot point because they end up winning this right. game. But what if Andrew Miller serves one up on a platter there and all of a sudden they're down by a run? Now you got now where are you going? Now you got to go to somebody else because now you're hoping you get to extras. You're not going to Reyes. And now all of a sudden, that's where the damage happens. Now you're two or three pitchers maybe deeper. You can't, your- you, you can't manage scared, though. You can't manage scared. You, you got to manage to win, and they were up that entire time. And if Miller did give something up there, Jamie, I think it probably would have been put, pitched differently afterwards. You don't go to Reyes next. Well, maybe, no, but that's maybe, my problem is you go to maybe two other guys at that point to try and get this I'm done. I'm guessing they would have gone to a long reliever at that point. Because yeah, then you maybe, have to at maybe that you're point. tied and you're thinking about extras, and you go to Ponce yeah. or Gomber there, mm-hmm. and he, they, you hope that one of them gives you three innings. And now today you would have had Reyes available for whatever was necessary, probably two innings at the end of the game. And look, the good news is you do have three these long guys for you the problem for me is just if you are in a tight spot I don't know how good Ponce or Gomber can be in that position whereas these guys have flourished this year as that long man reliever or as the guy that's getting the start where it's kind of prepared for them but throwing them out there in a tight position I just don't know how good they're going to be but what you're saying is basically why they used these guys yesterday like they were in a tight position when they used them. When you used Gallegos yesterday, it was maybe the biggest out of the game. And so if you don't trust today Gomber or Ponce coming into that situation, then why would we have thrown them yesterday? That's kind of where I'm coming from. I just think he got too many pitchers deep. That's my own opinion on it. I think and overall, I think Cabrera could have been a guy that he doesn't go to at all in that game and just save on to another arm. I just didn't like the fact that the winning team still went through six pitchers. What do I know? I'm a hockey guy. I watch this, but I, I am looking at it, and I'm looking at the other guys available, and I know the text line's blowing up as you play to win the game. I understand that, but if you look ahead sometimes, you have to be prepared. You can't just say, throw all the eggs in one basket in game one. Then what if you lose? Well, you can't coach that way. You can't manage it. Well, yeah, you have to. You have to look at it. Sometimes you have to look at the other side of it, too. Yeah, but you got to get the first win. 
first. You got to get that. You got to get that one in the bag. And now I can worry about game two. And I understand what you're saying, Jamie. It's not it's not a crazy point and that we just have two different philosophies on the way that they managed in game one. I loved that Schilt was super aggressive. He was uber aggressive. And one of the reasons why he can do that is what we've been talking about all season long. When or if now when this team gets into the postseason, they've got so many arms that you can go to. They are so deep, both in the rotation and in the bullpen, that when you use five guys coming out of that pen like they did yesterday, it's not as bad as a team like the Padres using five guys out of their bullpen like they did yesterday. By the way, if there is any criticism to go around for the way that the bullpen was used yesterday, I think it actually goes to the Padres for oh, using gosh. Trevor Rosenthal yeah. for 23 pitches yesterday. That's their closer. You know who might not be available today? Rosie. Uh, if the Padres are up late, well, if he is available today, he will not be available in game three, and they have to win game two to even get to game three. So that that one I thought was really questionable to go to him there after oh, you yeah. have Garrett Richards, who's been a starter for them all year. Use him in the ninth inning. I, I know the, you want to keep it close, but that's I the one that I think their manager was thinking, we're coming back here. We got the bats, well, and, and that's he's the, looking at, you know, the car. I think he was managing that, you know, assuming they're going to at least tie the game up, and that, that's where he guessed wrong. And that's the best come from behind team in the National League, if not Major League Baseball this season. So I, I agree. I think that's exactly what he was doing. But that was the dumbest thing for me also to have Rosenthal pitch that many because he's a guy that when he gets taxed, he starts to get wild like we saw uh, yesterday. Yeah, that was that was crazy Did the way ever, that he was able to Ricky come Vaughn up there. <laughs> By the way, uh, to your point, Ferrario, I saw this yesterday, and I'm going to try to find the exact number, but 59% of the Padres win this se- wins this season came by way of a comeback. They're 22 come-from-behind victories, the most in all of baseball this year. Another reason why I loved the way that Mike Schultz got aggressive. That is a team that if you let them go up against one of your lesser relievers, you were absolutely at risk of potentially losing that game. So they brought in their big guns. They were able to get the win in game number one, game number Number two tonight, 605 first pitch, 545 pregame right here on 101 ESPN. If you're going to be watching on television tonight, you will see Rick Sutcliffe, the former MLB pitcher, current ESPN baseball analyst. Rick Sutcliffe's going to join us to discuss what he saw in that game yesterday. What he thought of Dylan Carlson's playoff debut. Rick Sutcliffe now next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We'll be joined by Rick Sutcliffe, ESPN baseball analyst, former MLB pitcher momentarily. He was on the call last night for Cardinals big versus Padres. Game number one. Big hockey fan big as hockey well. Big hockey fan. Good friends with Kelly Chase and met Rick Sutcliffe a long time ago in the Blues locker room. Love it. Rick will be on the broadcast once again tonight. Cardinals versus Padres. Game number two. First pitch coming up at 6 o'clock on ESPN2. Rick joins us via the Brown and Croup and Celebrity Line. Rick, always appreciate the time, man. What would you think of game number one and the Cardinals' big victory out there in San Diego? You know, um, I got to tell you, um, I've been impressed from the very beginning when uh, Mike Schilt was announced as the manager. Um, I was impressed mainly because of the, you know, just it's such a great story on, you know, spending all that time and all those bus rides. And and we know what the minor leagues are like. There's no money involved. Uh, But, you know, talking to him, I, I mean, he never complains. He was thrilled just to have that uniform on. And uh, from the beginning, um, I, I was really impressed with him. And then 
with what he's gone through this year and the conversation that we had with him pregame yesterday when he talked about the leadership and how he, he leaned on some guys to take it day-to-day with everything that the, the Cardinals had to go through. He goes, there's going to be times that you're, you're going to have to adapt. Uh, I thought that was terrific. And then the way he managed game one, uh, he basically had a perfect game, in my opinion, with you know what he did with not pinch hitting for Carpenter, for uh, having Carlson in the number four spot, and with what he's done with that bullpen. Uh, yesterday was terrific, as it was on Sunday when they needed that win. Yeah, Rick, I want to isolate the bullpen just for a second here. And I went back and forth with my buddy BK here because, you know, the hockey guy here, I'm trying to talk baseball with him. But I was a little concerned <laughs> just about the number of pitchers Mike Schilt went through in that game. When he had a 6-2 to two lead, he made some changes. But, you know, in your opinion, why was it the right decision to do it the way Mike Schilt did it yesterday? You know, I got to admit, I got the same problem you do with the hockey guy there in St. Louis. <laughs> I got I to gotta slap Kelly Chase around every now and then. Oh, yeah, we'll get to know. him in a bit. Don't worry. Yeah, you know, he. he I mean, I, I, when it comes to hockey, I, I'm all ears. But, you know, he, he tries to teach me about baseball, and it's just so hard to keep him in his lane. But uh, getting back to your question about that bullpen, you know what? Um, as Mike Maddox told me yesterday, uh, about the bullpen pregame. He said the circle of trust with a lot of those guys down there just continues to grow. And yesterday I thought there were three really important moments. I, I thought in the top of the fourth inning, uh, I mean, you got a man on, you got Tatis Jr. up. Uh, the, the Padres have scored in the first three innings. They're cutting the gap. Uh, you bring in Helsley. And we know the run he's been on. I think it's like 15 consecutive appearances that uh, nobody scored on him. He's able to get the out on a foul ball to right. Then you got the same problem with two guys on uh, in the sixth inning. Uh, he goes to the bullpen again. Gallegos comes in and throws a wicked slider to, to get the strikeout and end the inning. And then, of course, in the eighth inning, uh, he had to go to Alex Reyes. And, you know, I, I would imagine with the numbers Fernando Tatis has put up this year, He's probably used the same bat all year. Well, he's not going to use the, the bat that he's used <laughs> in the eighth inning off of Reyes because that thing's, that thing's on somebody's fireplace, man. Reyes came in there throwing 100. I'm better than you are. And on that particular bat, he was. And I just think those were three key moments right there where the game could have turned. We know what the Padres have done offensively all year. And I just felt like Mike Schilt uh, wasn't going to allow that to happen. Rick, I could not agree with you more. I mean, you, <laughs> God, you couldn't Rick, have said it any better. You just me, Setsy. <laughs> I, loved, I loved the way that Schilt kind of pivoted his bullpen usage on what Fernan- when Fernando Tatis came to the plate. Now, Tatis also happened to come up in massive spots, so you're absolutely correct on that. But he brought in Helsley to specifically face Tatis and end that inning. And then he brings in Gallegos to face Tatis and end that inning. And then the same thing with Reyes. So Tatis, in the late innings, never faced the same pitcher more than once. I loved the way that Mike Schilt used his bullpen yesterday. I thought it was great. And, and uh, you know, going right along with that, what does that mean when Tatis makes the final out of an inning? 
That means that Manny Machado hitting right after him has to lead off the inning, which is exactly where you want him at with nobody on base. We're talking with Ritz Sutcliffe, former MLB pitcher, current ESPN baseball analyst here on 101 ESPN. Rick, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Dylan Carlson and the performance that we saw from the rookie yesterday. Ends up getting on base four times in a playoff game in his first ever playoff game. What did you see from him, both offensively and then, of course, the great defensive play as well? You know, I, that's exactly the same question that I had from Mike Schilt yesterday pregame. I go, do you have the kid back hitting fourth? And he said, we do. And I go, do you think he's going to provide some protection for Goldie? He says, you never know. Um, he says, but, we, you know, if you go back and look, um, they, they got shut out on Saturday against Milwaukee. The, the Cardinals only had two hits. You're not going to pitch to Goldie. You're going to pitch around him. Uh, Mike Schilt on Sunday in that must-win game – had Carlson hit fourth. I don't care that he went 0 for 4. They scored five runs. We know Bader did some nice things. And they won a game that they had to win. Who, who knows where they would be right now if they don't win that ball game? Carlson hit fourth. Yesterday, what happened? I, I mean, a lot of times after a home run, like what Goldie hit in the first inning, we've all been there. We've been in the dugout. And it, it's kind of as exciting as it is, it kind of kills the momentum. Normally, that's about it. Normally, you get a, a, you know, a crooked number, you're done for that inning. Carlson said, no, we're not. I mean, he followed with a double. We know that he was on base the first four times. Uh, you know, not a bad afternoon for a kid that's, uh, you know, just starting to get his big league career going. Who knows, without uh, this short season and all that we've gone through, he might have spent the year in AAA, and we might not even have known that name. Rick, uh, along with Dylan Carlson and Paul DeYoung, who had a great game as well, I feel like every time we talk about a big moment, we talk about either Adam Wainwright or Yadier Molina. And Yadier Molina yesterday had as good a game as any catcher could possibly have, both at the plate as a batter and then behind the plate as a catcher. He just makes so many heads-up plays defensively. And then with the bat, he was extremely dangerous as well. At any point, are you still amazed, or is it just sort of expected at this point? I've kind of grown to expect it. Um, you know, as long as he's been playing, I've been broadcasting. So I've kind of had a front row seat to, to see a lot of these things. Um, a couple of years ago when Adam Wainwright said that he's our backbone. Uh, wow. Uh, you know, what a compliment. We all know how important the backbone is to, to each and every one of us. And for him to be that to the Cardinal organization, um, I, I just think, you know, when you think about the Padres and how are they going to beat you? Well, there's so many ways. Um, the power. I think they were third in a, or fourth in, the, the, in Major League Baseball and home run. I think they led the Major Leagues in stolen bases. Well, you know what? They're not going to lead this postseason in stolen bases when they're going up against Yadier Molina. I mean, he proved that. He threw Pham out at third base. Uh, the ball hit off the bag. It came out of, uh, of uh, Edmonds' glove. But, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's amazing that a guy who's rarely between the lines, I mean, he's either beside home plate or he's behind it. it it's amazing that a guy like that can have an impact on so many outcomes. Last question that I've got for you, Rick. Yesterday we saw what was an unbelievably difficult stay from Harrison Bader. Ends up with the five strikeouts, the platinum sombrero in that game, and he has the misplay in center field early in the game as well. Do you think Mike Schilt goes back to Harrison Bader? Would you go back to Harrison Bader today in center field? Did you see how that game ended yesterday? I sure did. <laughs> yeah, I probably would. I, I thought he misplayed a ball. 
um, earlier. I thought the ball um, in the bottom of the second, the Cronworth hit, I, I thought he got a bad jump on it. I thought he turned the wrong way. I know he did a couple of times. Uh, I thought he could have made that play. And I guarantee you, if you ask him, he, he'd tell you that he should have made it as well. Um, we were trying to, you know, the platinum sombrero. I'd never heard that before. I, <laughs> the name I came up with, I, I, I'm going to call it Yahtzee on TV tonight. Man. I mean, you get five of a kind in Yahtzee, that, that's what you're looking for. But you know, it just goes back to, to, to show you how, I, I mean, everything, you know, day to day for all of us. And particularly uh, when, you're, when you're, you're in the big leagues or you're in any kind of a sport, just go back to Sunday and the home run and the triple that Bader hit and, and the excitement that he had being offensively a contributor to a win. Uh, any sport can humble you at any time. And it's not a matter of whether you're going to have a good day or a bad day. It's how you respond to it, how you come back. And I, I do. I think Harrison Bader will be in the lineup. Uh, again today in game two. All right, Rick, last one from me here. I uh, met you a long time ago in the Blues locker room when I was playing with Chaser. And then so I, I, I asked a certain individual last night, I said, what could I bring up with Rick that, you know, maybe he remembers about time with Kelly Chase. And now he brought up a, he, he brought up a moment that is probably very similar to the Rocky Balboa, Apollo Creed, the fight that never happened. Now he did bring up maybe there was some kind of a fight between you and Kelly Chase at the old Adams Mark Hotel, and he said, "You need to ask old Sutsy who won that fight." Well, um, you know, <laughs> every now and then you, you, you kind of underestimate a person, right? You know, and I'm in the back seat, and Chaser and one of his buddies are up front, and I thought it'd be kind of funny to flick his ear and slap him a little bit, and. You know, I, I guess I slapped him in the mouth. And, you know, <laughs> he said, you hit me in the yap. Don't do it again. Well, of course, you know, right off the bat, I'm, you know, first chance I get, I, I'm going to do it again. Well, he turned around. I'm getting ready to go on national TV. <laughs> we were, I'm broadcasting for MLB International. It's all over the world. It's to all of our troops, all of our armed forces. Chaser turns around and pops me. <laughs> and I say, hey, you know, I'd always told him that my face was my moneymaker. You know, I mean, you, you can't you can't mess with my money. Chase, there's a reason you're on radio and I'm on TV. <laughs> well, as we get out, I, I guess I, I, maybe I stumbled. I don't. Maybe I shoved him a little bit. The next thing I know, he ends up tackling me. You guys remember that horse that that was in the lobby of the Adams Mart? Yeah, those do be, those huge horses. Yes. Yeah, it was like twenty feet tall. The next thing you know, he tackles me. We hit that horse, and it starts rocking like it's going to tip over. Oh, <laughs> Here's my favorite part. All of a sudden, security comes running out. Cops are everywhere. And this one cop looked at Chaser and goes, Chaser, really? You again? <laughs> That's awesome, Rick. I love it. Yeah, Chaser's a good friend of ours here, too. And uh, I love those stories, He's buddy. He's the best. Well, Rick, we enjoy watching you each and every time we get the opportunity to do so on ESPN. We will certainly enjoy watching you tonight. Six o'clock first pitch on ESPN two for Cardinals versus Padres game number two. Enjoy the call tonight. Enjoy with Tom Hart, our our boy from Mizzou. Uh, We look forward to it. And uh, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Let me know if I can help anytime, guys. We'll be around the postseason uh, this whole month. Let me know. You're the best. Being with you. Absolutely. That's Rick Sutcliffe joining us here on 101 ESPN, a brilliant baseball mind. And I'm not only saying that because he said, quote, Mike Schilt basically pitched a no hitter yesterday with the way that he managed the game. 
I totally agree. It's awkward. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. Questions and answers coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. service text line for questions and answers. Jamie, we've got a couple of hockey questions on the text line. Actually, this one comes from the 314. Guys, I've seen it reported now that we're going to see a bunch of players on the market after their teams fail to give them the qualifying offer. Are we going to see players on the free agency market that you weren't expecting to see otherwise? Yeah, you're going to see a lot of them. And this is going to add a layer to the chaos, which will be free agency, and especially for some of the unrestricted free agents. I don't think it's going to affect guys like Alex Petrangelo, Taylor Hall, heck, even Tory Krug. But after that, if you have a chance to get a 23 or 24-year-old who now is an unrestricted free agent because he wasn't qualified for a decent price, I mean, is this going to be a way for teams too? You have to imagine some of them are looking to cut their salary down to get to the cap because it's actually lower than it was supposed to be. So how do you do it? Well, you do buyouts. Well, you don't have to do a buyout. If you don't qualify a restricted free agent, what happens there is you lose their rights. Essentially, they get taken away from you and thrown into the unrestricted free agency pool. And at that point, you've shed their salary. You're not committed to the two, three, four million dollars, whatever is expected. And so that's a player as a transaction you've made. Now they're available. To the highest bidder. It's Whoever what happened wants with Marcel Lozuna for the Cardinals, basically, but in hockey. Yeah, and so the only restricted free agent that the Blues have right now that would be of importance is a guy like Vince Dunn. And look, I'm not saying that he would be somebody the Blues don't qualify. Trust me, not saying it at all. I'm using him as an example that Doug Armstrong could say, you know what? trying to get this Petro thing done and we're worried about the extra $3 million it's going to cost or 2 and a half it's going to cost for Vince Dunn. Let's just not qualify Vince Dunn. Now we don't owe him anything. Now that 5.1 is actually our starting point for Alex Petrangelo and maybe then you don't have to go as big as Tyler Bozak to make it work for you. So that's just the way it could impact the Blues. Yeah, and I mean, it's not even those restricted free agents. If you look at what free agency is going to look like this year, I mean, there's a lot of big names that can change organizations. I mean, just go off of the buyouts alone. Bobby Ryan, one of them we've talked about. Henrik Lundqvist is another one that you put him on a team that's right on the cusp. That could be a team that gets their gets the job done with those players. But then you're going to have teams like what Chicago just did, which was reported yesterday. They basically told Mark Crawford that, hey, look, or Corey Crawford. Crawford. Mark Crawford's a Mark coach. Crawford does coach yes. there, though. You were Cor- close. They told Corey Crawford, like, hey, if you don't sign with a real team-friendly deal with us, you're going to be a free agent. I think you're going to see a lot of that on the market this year, which is going to put a lot of big names out there. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service. Sex on one more quick Blues question to get to here. Guys, what should we make of the Blues sending a couple of players now over to the KHL. Well, look, we talked about this a while ago, and this is going to be trending amongst NHL teams, specifically for their younger players that are NHL caliber guys or their big prospects who will not have the ability to play in the American Hockey League right away. The KHL, they're operating full throttle. We'll get into them in a second. But Switzerland is starting their games tonight, which they've done a great job of managing their country and doing all this stuff. They are allowing one or two imports per team, which is usually four. They've cut it down for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. 
But you will see teams loaning out their young players to continue to get the, those playing minutes and continue to develop uh, into hopefully being able to come back and play in the NHL. Now, the KHL's got their own problem going on over there in Russia is the Blues are sending two guys over there, but they've had 13 teams have to be shut down because of COVID reasons. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're not managing it quite the same as some other places. If you pull up some of the KHL highlights, uh, they've got, like, not just fans in the stands. They've got that thing sold out and they're they're operating like it doesn't exist which is interesting but that's a risk factor now so the blues and other teams have to look at that and go where, where am i sending my guys here how are their teams and their cities handling this covid because i would it would be awful to lose a player for an extended period of time or at the wrong time when clem costin per se you want to bring him back from the khl but he can't because he's got covid you know, or something like that. Or, or and we don't know what the long-term effects are, right? I mean, Armstrong said this in the playoffs, uh, 20% of the Blues roster had it, and then they just didn't get to be 100%. And that was months by the end of that thing. So you, you never know when they're going to be back to being their true 100% selves either. And I'm curious, too. Let me ask you this, Rivs, because you've played in Russia. How much is that going to affect to Klim Kostin, who the main thing for him is a young player getting him adjusted to North American hockey, the rink size, the play of the North American style. Now you go back to Russia for a couple of months and play there. The rink size will affect him a little bit, but you got to remember he came from that, right? Like that's what he grew up playing on. So didn't they try and break that away from him though? A little bit. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, once you're back over here for about a week, it, it kind of gets back to normal. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing too, the, what I do like about the KHL is contrary to popular belief, it's a very defensive minded league. It really is. They take their defensive side of the game very seriously. So much so where I was like, are you guys kidding me? Like, <laughs> I'm supposed to be like partially retired here. I just want to wheel and deal. And they want you like blocking shots and playing D. And I'm like, no, no, no. This wasn't part of my agreement. So I think that if you put Clem Costin in the right environment with the right coach over there, he'll play more defense probably there than he has here because he'll be forced to do so. Uh, Switzerland, not so much. It's run and gun. It's get after it. So maybe that's why players are being directed towards the cage. Is that why you nearly died on the table in Russia? Because <laughs> they found out you were trying to wheel and deal over there? I died because I tried to lay a guy out with a hit. What was I thinking? That was a bad idea. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. Last night, Major League Baseball had a little bit of an oops with the Cleveland versus Yankees game with them starting the game and then having to delay the game and then starting the game again. They're trying not to have that same issue today. So the Cubs versus Marlins game that was supposed to be played coming up at one o'clock. It's officially been postponed for today. It will be rescheduled for tomorrow Wait, afternoon. What? what? I'm confused. Yeah, I thought we were supposed to play every day here. And we were, but there is a game that has been postponed because of the rain. They are not trying to have a repeat of what I, I think I just explained this. They're not trying to have a repeat of what just happened last night for Cleveland versus the Yankees. Oh, I didn't know it rained in Cleveland. And so <laughs> always rains in Cleveland. Sorry, I can't watch every game. BK. The Cubs and the Marlins will be playing tomorrow. It has been postponed. It will not be played today. Who will be playing today? Cardinals versus the Padres. We got a text on the text line 65780 from the 314 guys. Bader struck out five times in game number one. Would you sit him out in game number two? We're going to answer that question for you coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. So we got a text from the 314. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Guys, Bader struck out five times in game number one. Do you think that he should sit out in game number two? So I looked this up yesterday. 
Bader yesterday was the first player in the last 25 years to strike out at least five times in a playoff game. He is the third player in the history of baseball to strike out at least five times in a postseason game. And a great. That's not the company that you want. The company that we talked about earlier with what Dylan Carlson did yesterday. This is the opposite. What we saw from Harrison Bader yesterday. That being said, yeah, I would go back to him. I would keep him out there. What? And here's Ooh. why. What? Here's Ooh. why. Ooh. Go ahead. What is what is your alternative? There's only one. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, Tyler O'Neill. Uh, believe there's a guy named Austin Dean on the roster. No, there's one alternative, and his name is Tyler O'Neill. <sighs> and wh- what evidence do we have that he is going to be better at the plate this year? Can't be worse. Yeah, he can't get worse. He can be compared to what we've seen recently from Harrison Bader. I mean, we just talked about this with Rick Sutcliffe. Bader was good like three days ago at the plate. He okay. was terrible yesterday. He was good a few days ago, though, at the plate. Okay. Tyler O'Neill has not been good all season long, and Bader is better defensively than than Tyler O'Neill is. I want my best defender out there, especially at that park, and especially with Adam Wainwright on the mound. Okay, see, I'm going in a different direction here. I'm going Dylan Carlson in center. The way he moved around yesterday and what he's shown me defensively and how he can get on his horse and move, I'm confident he can patrol center field. Who's in left for you? Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill is a very good defender and in he's left fast. field. Sometimes, unless he's making that critical mistake. Which well, we've well, seen like a Bader made a critical issue. mistake too, though. Absolutely, but I, I do think some of that was due to the sunlight. If you saw, oh boy, I'm being serious. So, so light Bader, was in his eyes. Did you see D- Dexter Fowler in the very next inning struggle <laughs> to come down with up his for Bader. Right? He's like, I got your back. I'll pretend it's bad out here. He couldn't find the ball in the sun either. <laughs> and then you got into the next inning, and the Padres outfield had an issue with this finding the ball in the sun as well. I do think there was something to that. Bader is a excellent defender. His defensive range is it's unquestioned. We we can't we can't get out here and be like, yeah, Bader's a bad defender now. No, what we saw yesterday was not what we would typically expect from him. He's your best defensive center fielder. You're downgrading in center with him, and I actually think in terms of what you're getting from Carlson right now in left, I don't think Tyler O'Neill is significantly better than Carlson in left field either. So I would keep Bader out there in center. I would keep Dylan Carlson in left, keep those guys where they are. And Carlson, I just want him to stay out there in left and be comfortable. He looked great out there yesterday. I would do it again today. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just don't know how long I can go on with this. Five strikeouts yesterday. Uh, you're going to, you're going to need that bottom of the order to give you some punch. I, I really believe that. And they did look top to bottom yesterday was a pretty successful day for the Cardinals, except for Harrison Bader. And that, you know, to me, I just feel I just think that why why not? But maybe, again, what maybe evidence you start do we have? with O'Neal and left, Carlson in center, and then halfway through you get up by a run or two and Bader goes back to center. Look, he had five strikeouts for Harrison Bader, and, and the biggest thing right now is finding offense and the upside of Harrison Bader. Yes, the defense is there, but I think Dylan Carlson can be just as good of a center fielder defensively. Yeah, no. I, we saw that in left field. He, he's not as good as Harrison Bader, though. I think I, he I think he could be. I, I think, think it's really not much could of a drop-off, though. And, and Tyler O'Neill is going to... Bader's one of the best defenders in all of baseball, But what's guys. the upside of Bader if he has a good game? He's going to get a couple singles for you, maybe a home run? I mean, he just hit a homer like I three days ago. I get and it. He hit a triple three Yeah, but you can't ago. just isolate one game. I just he worry had, that overall... And, he had and better last year in the playoffs. It was a nightmare. And I think Tyler O'Neill can run into a couple of hits for you... 
What's the worst that can happen? He goes 0 for 5 and you strike out? Okay, well, then you go back to Bader. And you downgrade defensively. Harrison Bader this year had a better batting average, a better on-base percentage, and yes, a better slugging percentage than Tyler O'Neill did. He he had more power this year. This this year, all season long, over the course of the uh, entire season, Bader was better at the plate than Tyler O'Neill. I'm not making these numbers up. Tyler O'Neill this year hit 175. He had a 260 on base percentage and in the entire season, 12 total extra base hits. Harrison Bader, 225 batting average, 335 on base percentage and on the season, 13 extra base hits. He was better this year than Tyler O'Neill at the plate. We know he's better defensively, even if you guys think that the the defensive uh, replacement value there is marginal. At the plate this season, Bader was better. And so, yes, yesterday was ugly. It looked awful at the plate for Bader. I will not disagree with you there whatsoever. But I have no evidence to suggest that Tyler O'Neill is going to be better at the plate moving forward. So then than how Harrison long Bader is your was. leash? How long is your leash? Because if he goes up and he strikes out twice right away, and like, at what point do you say uncle? I, the postseason. I, I, I'm giving I, I think the Tyler ah. O'Neill experiment is over for the Cardinals. I, I think that was one of my biggest takeaways from the season is Lane Thomas, who is not even on the playoff roster right now. And Tyler O'Neill are not starting outfielders for the Cardinals anymore. And we, we have now seen enough from both of those guys to know that they are not going to be significant pieces for the Cardinals now or in the future. I think Harrison Bader is your starter in center field because defensively, that is the identity of this team right now. They are fantastic at pitching and defense. And Harrison Bader is your best defender in the outfield right now. He is. I just am of the belief, and I'll I'll die on this hill right now, that I would put Dylan Carlson in the center. I'd start Tyler O'Neill in left, and I understand. And I listen, I you've got the numbers to support your argument, and you might ultimately be 100% correct. Right now, just my feeling is that you start that way, and then you can always sub in Bader at some point. I'm just, I don't know, I'm over the strikeouts, and I, I, I don't know. That's where I'm at on it. Well, it's the expectancy. I've been a Bader fan all What's year, too. What's the expectancy hit rate? Oh, gosh. That's what we need to We're know. We're not going back to this. Um, that's because, what we need to know. Because, because both of them have bad expected hit rates. Like, they, they both stink at the plate But that's year. what I'm saying. They're both bad. And if you get and a, one of them's better defensively. Right? So so that's that's where I, we are. I don't know if he's that much. I mean, he's he's better, yes. But I think Dylan Carlson is just as good in center field. I think he can be. Okay. Uh, Paul DeYoung was one guy that was tremendous yesterday defensively, and he had a great day at the plate as well. Jamie, you mentioned this yesterday. I I asked you guys, and Ferrario, you said this as well. uh, Which guy do you believe the two days of rest is going to be the biggest for? And it was Paul DeYoung. And you guys said that yesterday, and you were 100% correct. How impressed were you, Jamie, with what you saw from DeYoung? Forever DeYoung. Forever DeYoung, yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, first of all, I had talked with him, pulled him aside privately and gave him a few tips. (laughs) No, that's not true. But anyways, I'd like to believe that in my own mind. But no, he was fantastic. I, I thought that, you know, he got going early right away. I feel like he found a groove at the plate. And then defensively, I mean, now you see why. I mean, we talk about it all the time. We talk, oh, we can shift him over here, shift him over there, do this, do that. Yesterday was a prime example of why Paul DeYoung's your shortstop. I mean, he came up with some really big plays, specifically in the ninth inning. You know, he 
He knocks one down, and then he's got a gun over to first base and gets the runner, and then he catches one that, what, 101 miles an hour or something off the bat? It was the hardest hit ball of the day. Oh, incredible. So, you know, I look at that, and yeah, his bat warmed up, obviously. What, he reached base four times? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was hit by a pitch once, but still, uh, you know, it's part of the game, and he, he took it, he ate it. Uh, I'm really, really happy with what I saw yesterday from Paul DeYoung, and I'm crossing my fingers that the two days off, the rest, has re-energized him just enough to get him going again and stay on this track. I think he's one of those guys that's underrated when it comes to his defensive ability, a shortstop in Major League Baseball. I mean, you see guys like Tatis Jr., who, of course, are excellent at their position, but Paul DeYoung's one of those guys that people overlook when he can make plays like that. It wasn't the hard-hit one. It was that line drive that he jumped up for and robbed. I mean, that's Oof. that's possibly a double with the speed off that bat. And Paul DeYoung comes up big in those situations. He's one of those guys that it always has been. When he plays too many games, he gets fatigued. It needs a, kind of one of those those recharged resets for Paul DeYoung. But when he gets that, that's where he's very effective, not only defensively but offensively as well. Yeah, it was an awesome game for him. And it was also a reminder of what this offense looks like when you have two other bats step up alongside Paul Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt's been great all season long. I know early in the year, I was like, ah, some of these numbers are a little concerning. They they all ended up coming back to where they should have been. Goldschmidt was awesome. There is no, there's no questioning what he did this season. And then yesterday you saw when you've got Carlson hitting like that and you've got Paul DeYoung as another guy in the middle of that order that's hitting. That's what this team needs. You need the big guys, the guys that you were counting on from the beginning of the season to come through and then the supplementary pieces, when they get hits, that's when you're like, oh, wow, Matt Carpenter got a hit today. That's this nice is awesome. Bonus. It's a nice yeah. bonus, right? Yadier Molina comes through in the way that you would always expect him to. When the runners are in scoring position, he's going to make the right play every time. If he's got to hit a sack fly, he's going to hit a sack fly. If he's got to uh, find a way to move the runners over, he's going to do exactly that. Yadi did what he needed to do. Dexter Fowler had a couple of nice at-bats for you. That That's what it should look like in that lineup. And if DeYoung can play that way moving forward, if he is a little bit re-energized, and he talked about that yesterday, then I... I think you're going to love what you see out of Paul DeYoung moving forward. And that's huge, 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 huge for this Cardinals lineup. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Joey Vitale is our Blues analyst. I want to hear what his reaction was to what he heard last night from Pat Maroon, who once again just had an all-time great speech. Joey Vitale joining us next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I was trying to get Raymond James Seaman to uh, dim the lights so you guys can all have your flashlights off. But too bad. But hey, I'm the big rig. I'm back to back. Oh, just just an all-timer. He's an all-time great. That's Patty Maroon last night. The speech to the Tampa Bay Lightning fans as they had a socially distanced celebration at Raymond James Stadium down in Tampa Bay. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. I want to get the reaction of Joey Vitale, our blues analyst for 101 ESPN to what we saw last night with Patty Maroon. Joey, what'd you think of Pat's speech this time around? It didn't measure up to what we saw last year, but it was pretty good. Nonetheless, it was pretty good. Fellas. Listen, <laughs> uh, last year, last year can't be touched. I remember being on that stage and talking to Pat and, and they, they thought I'd be a good person to talk to. Him. I grew up together. And I remember, like, just in that moment thinking, like, hey, these are your people. Like, come on. What do you got to say to him? Like, thinking he's going to say, I love you, St. Louis, or, hey, we did it. or And he just grabs that mic 
and says, I'm a home <laughs> And I just, and I, I, I was a little tipsy in the moment. I think most of us were, but even, even the tipsy people were like, oh, okay, there you go. That's one way to put it. And, uh, of course, uh, it worked out pretty well. And now I'm super happy for Pat and his family. Uh, back-to-back, pretty, pretty incredible stuff when you think about a player who, you know, just over a year ago, around that Christmas time during the 2019-18-19 uh, run, was was going to be traded. The Blues were near the, the bottom uh, of the, the, the division and the conference and uh, talking about trading them, sending them down. He was completely down in the dumps. He fast forward about five months. They win the cup. Then he goes to Tampa. He wins another cup. I mean, uh, this is what makes sports exciting. And, and Riz, I know you, you know this personally, but this is what makes life uh, with as a hockey player very exciting and intriguing as well because you see this quite a bit, actually a player that's uh, so close to being done and all of a sudden, uh, maybe a career just gets revitalized. Heck, we had Ben Lovejoy on our show a few weeks ago, and there was a player in Pittsburgh. He got just completely messed around with, sent down the minors on waivers left and right. Coach hated him. He finally gets shipped off to Anaheim, gets picked up on waivers, does tremendous there, signs a great contract, even though he was going to retire uh, that during that time is in Pittsburgh, signs a great tra- uh, three-year contract in Anaheim, ends up getting traded back to Pittsburgh, wins the Stanley Cup, then signs in Jersey, signs in Dallas, and he really just, his whole career took off. And he was a weeks away from possibly retiring, just giving up. And uh, you can make the same, same argument there for Pat Maroon. So uh, incredible to see and so happy for him. Yeah, Joey, look, Patty Maroon, a couple of consecutive um, uh, beautiful speeches on the Stanley Cup stage. I actually was more impressed with the the look he had. It looked like the big show had dressed up as Weekend at Bernie's, and I thought it was a good look. I really did. I thought it was a good look. Um, but the question, Joey, I have is this, okay? And to your point, Pat Maroon comes in. He's you know a little bit of an underdog halfway through the season. The whole team was, but Patty Maroon probably feeling the pressure. Blues go on, win the Stanley Cup. He goes uh, unoffered as far as a contract here in St. Louis, signs with Tampa Bay, and he ends up being one of the missing pieces for that team to carry him across the finish line. So he's back-to-back Stanley Cups now. At this point, do you think there's a line of teams that are racing right now to try and sign Pat Maroon as that role player? Because he sure did fit that role of third, fourth liner for regular shifts, but then he was a big presence on the power play in front of that net as well. You know, I think that I actually think his stock is higher now than it was last year after the Blues won it. And and I I think you got to look at the fact that he wins back-to-back Something about him, something about him, if I'm a GM, is intriguing. Something about him is helping teams win right now. Uh, is, it, is it the on-ice stuff? Is it the power play, as you mentioned, the huge body? You know, he doesn't move all that well. He's not getting any faster as he continues his career. But, but he is still getting there, you know, and, and he's disturbing teammates. He's just, uh, not teammates, but the opposition. He's disturbing the other teams on bench. The coaches are getting involved, and he's just, he's just a great teammate. And he's just a good person have around heck we all got that one friend we all got that one friend that's you know kind of annoying you don't like his wife uh he kind of smells bad sometimes <laughs> but 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 you know when you have him over like we're gonna party like oh 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 billy's coming oh billy's coming tonight billy oh wait you be billy billy's a good guy when billy shows up it's on and everyone's just like energy hits the roof right like that's patty patty answers the locker room and he answers the team. Uh, you know, an interesting story about Patty. I remember talking to him when he went down to Tampa, and I asked him how the transition's been. And, and, and here's a small thing for you, a little nugget. 
he told me, he goes, it was interesting when I stepped into that locker room with Steven Stamkos. There's a lot of Russians on that team. And not everyone spoke English. So when he was in St. Louis, they had a rule here in the locker room. And, and I've been a part of teams where this is a rule, whether you have Finns, Russians, whoever's on the team. English is the language that's spoken in the locker room. If you want to speak a different language in a weight room with your Russian buddy, that's fine. But in the locker room, there's no other languages that are being spoken except English. And he got down to Tampa, and there were about three or four different languages being thrown around, and he was in disbelief. And he talked, excuse me, he talked to Stephen. Oh, my God. I just choked on a frog. I'm good now. And so he talked to Stephen Stamkos. And um, he talked to Stephen. I, I, I just choked there. It may have been the apple. Guys, listen. My wife You're was supposed after. to eat the car. <laughs> what just happened, Joey? Are you okay? <laughs> my wife went to Eckerd yesterday with the kids. And she's got like 18 bushels of apples she brought home. Like they had to crate these things you know, like a, on, a, on a flatbed truck. And I'm just trying desperately to get through all these apples. I'm not letting one apple go to waste. So I've just been munching on apples like like a doggone white-tailed deer the last two days. And I just hawked on one. Take a breather because we really want to hear the end of the story first. Joey, did you like put the entire apple into your mouth? You got to chew it, buddy. Well, I finished it right before I hopped on with you guys, and I thought I cleared it. But apparently, right around the epiglottis, that little plastic that goes between the oxygen tube and the food tube got a little caught up in there. Anyway. A little bit of a so, back check. All right, so he's in the locker room, and they're not speaking English, Joey. Yeah, so, so they, don't, they don't speak English. And there's all these languages. And he, and he, he talks to Stephen Samkos about this, and he sits him down. Because Stephen asked him, you know, what would you like about the Blues culture? Or, you know, this, that, and the other. And Pat said, you know, hey, a small thing, we, we spoke English in the locker room. And, and it was something that I don't think Stammer and those guys down there really ever given any thought to. But, but that, that, that's something that, you know, and Jamie, you've been in this room, you know, you, you want to feel like a unit. You want to feel like a family. And I'm telling you right now, I've never been in a locker room like that with a lot of different languages. But if I heard, you know, a Finnish over here and Swedish over there and Russian over there and, and, and whatever Slavian over there, I, I'd be like, you know what, there's, there's lots of different things going on right now. Like, you, you want some unity. You want a togetherness. Uh, to me, it starts with the communication. Um, so that's that, that's one little area, and, that, and that's something that Pat Maroon kind of went down there and kind of got reestablished or reignited in that team. So you talk about the intangibles. He's he's a player that does that. He's a player that's not afraid to go to the leadership and say, "Hey, check this out," or "Hey, check that out." Uh, he's just an uh, over the moon type of guy, a great personality. And if I'm a GM, uh, I'm excited about the possibility. Um, you know, you're not going to give him more than I don't think a million bucks, maybe about one one five, but to have him on that anchor, that third fourth line be a good power play presence, to be a great locker room presence, maybe to groom some young players up and up and come in this league. Absolutely. To me, it's a home run. Yeah, Joey, you're right. I, I was in a couple of locker rooms when I played in Ottawa and we had Czechs, Swedes, Russians. And what it did is it created clicks, right? Inadvertently, yeah. it creates those clicks. And when I got to Detroit, Stevie Eiserman had the rule flat out. It's English in the locker room, very much so like the Blues had here. And it does. It opens up the lines of communication and you're less apt to criticize a teammate if you know he can understand what mm. you're saying behind yeah. his back. So it is a great strategy. Now, with Patty Maroon in Tampa right now, they're going to be pushed up against the cap very shortly here as things progress. He, John Cooper's there. Uh, Jeff Vinnick likes Patty Maroon. Uh, Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman. You, re- you mentioned his price tag of one, maybe 1. 1.5. I could see Patty not only just signing a, a one-year deal, I could see him maybe getting two there, Joey. I mean... Uh, Patty may sign you up to be his agent. 
ribs. Well, I'm looking um, for the kickback just a little bit. Times yeah, are tough. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe if you keep reaching, if you keep pumping it like this, maybe it'll happen. <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just think Patty is a year by year guy, and and you know what? If I'm Patty, like, why not keep going with the one years? Like, it seems to be working in your favor. That's I, good I mean, point. you know this, you know this too, Rip. Uh, players seem to play their best, best hockey when it's a year of where their contract's up. You know, you sign that pretty three-year deal or pretty four-year deal, it's only natural to take your foot off the gas. It's just going to happen, right? I mean, you, you feel you feel secure. You feel locked up. You, it's cozy. Your bed's nice and warm, and, <laughs> and you got the you got the neti pot there. You're and, buying and the instead of renting, Joey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're buying. You know, you got the, the NyQuil steamer. Your wife got you all set up with the lavender <laughs> scented oil. You know, you're, you're good. You're, I'm going to go to bed and get a good night's sleep tonight. You're fine. You know, when you're on that one-year deal, man, you're sleeping on the floor. Uh, there's little mice. There's little mice going around. They're nipping at your toes a little bit, looking for those cheese. And then you got the. It, it's cold and it's creaky house, and, and you're always on edge. You never, never can get too comfortable. But man, you're on fire, right? Every day you show up and you're like, God, I gotta earn it. I gotta go out there. I got, I gotta earn it. And I gotta work for it. And and I, I like that for guys. Sometimes they they make careers on the last four or five years of their their career is just on these one year deals. And for Patty, heck, man. It's been working pretty good in St. Louis. You're always trying to prove something that one year. You go to Tampa, I got to prove it again. I got to prove it again. Why not keep the foot on the gas? I know it's security-wise it might be nice to have two years. Uh, I don't know if Patty will get that. But, again, a player that's proven with these one years, I'm going to prove it to the world kind of mindset, uh, he's going to be all right. Final question for you, Joey. We are now just about a week away from the start of NHL free agency. I haven't seen anything new in the Petrangelo situation, but what are you hearing that is the latest? And are you still believing that maybe there is an 11th hour to be able to an 11th hour deal that could be made here? You know, what? I, I don't know, guys. I, I haven't heard anything that you haven't heard. There, there's so much at this point now. Uh, as I was looking into it more, I was like, you know what? There's so much just stuff being thrown around. It's almost better just to like not even watch anything because it just kind of it was kind of like when the when the NHL was coming back for a while. There it was just like I just got to turn this thing off because it's so back and forth all over the place. And it's kind of becoming that kind of a drama. So I've kind of put it to rest here a little bit. You know, we were talking to Hal Gill, uh, Alex, and I were last night on our hockey show. Shout out this week in hockey, <laughs> and um, you know, Hal Gill. You know, he said it best. He goes. Players like Alex, they just don't come around all that often. Players like Roman Yossi, Victor he- Victor Hedman will never be a free agent, right? Alex Ovechkin will re-sign with Washington. He, you know, all these things like players like this, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, like they just don't hit the market. It doesn't happen all that often. It, it is so absolutely strange that a player like Alex Petrangelo is going to possibly hit the market. It, it does not happen. And, and for the Blues, they have to figure out a way to do this because uh, you're literally – you have ownership of this incredible player that's going to be incredible for at least four more years, probably five pushing six, you know. And if you got to eat that contract when he's 37, 38, to me, you got to eat it. Uh, at this point, uh, forget the term. Uh, forget it's going to be eight years. Uh, don't look at Seabrook. Don't look at Ryan Suter. Don't look at every other situation out there where when they, oh, when they turn 35, they really hit downhill. Yeah, that may be true. But you know what? They're going to be some kick-ass hockey players until they're 34, too. And when you have a window of four more years, which I believe they do, um, you're, you're going to want to make that team the best team possible. And with Alex on this team, it's a much, much better team. So when you have a player, you got him for another week or so, week and a half, figure out a way. Boys, get in, get in, get in the room. Army, Petro, Newport, sit in a room, lock the door, and literally just throw away the key until uh, there's ink 
on a piece of paper. They got to figure a way to do this because, uh, like I said, Hal Gill, um, Stanley Cup champion, said it best. He said these players just do not come around all that often. And when you have them, and when you have a little bit of leverage and ownership with them, you got to figure out a way making it enticing enough for him to say Joey we hope that this time next week whenever we talk with you we're able to talk about an update on that situation and hopefully it is positive for the St. Louis Blues always appreciate the time man enjoy those apples and try to be able to finish at least a few of them by the end of the weekend hey if you guys need any apples I'll send you my address you guys, I'm just gonna leave them. I'm just gonna scatter them on the front yard I'm just gonna <laughs> scatter them you guys come by and pick them up you're the best it's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN have a good one man that is Joey Vitale on 101 ESPN of man of many, many talents coming up next here on 101 ESPN. There's another team in the NL central whose offense is doing what we all thought the Cardinals offense is going to do. We'll talk about them coming up on the other side. Plus the MLB got its villain back. That's all coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. So the NL Central, everybody was worried. There's going to be a team in the NL Central that doesn't hit in this playoff. It's going to be the Cardinals, isn't it? It's going to be the Cardinals. They're going to be the team that gets into the postseason. And of course, because we saw it a year ago, the bats are going to go silent. They'll be swept out of the postseason. It'll be over. Nope. Mm-mm, no siree. Two guys last night <laughs> got on base four times apiece. Their offense looked great. It is happening to somebody, though. Have you guys seen what the Cincinnati Reds offense has done so far? You mean what they haven't done? One for 12 (laughs) yesterday with runners in scoring position. One for 12. So far today, 0 for 2. So 1 for 14 so far with runners in scoring position. They have now played 18 innings against the Atlanta Braves, who are not known for their pitching by any stretch of the imagination. They're still looking for their first run. The Cincinnati Reds have yet to score a run against the Atlanta Braves through 18 innings of baseball. This is wild. Are we sure the Cincinnati Reds hitters didn't contract something from being with St. Louis playing against them? Like, <laughs> did, did Cincinnati's hitters become Cardinals hitters? They passed on their yeah. bad juju. <laughs> did we switch those for a little bit there? This is crazy. Uh, what is happening right now in this series between the Reds and the Braves? I... I had the Reds making the World Series. Now, I also oh, had boy. the Braves making the World Series. Wait, <laughs> what? You, you guys have, want to say it? You have Reds and the Braves making the World Series? You guys want to say it? What? Oh, did you just be KO? Is that what's happening here? I, well, hold, I'm confused, though. You said the Reds yeah, and Braves. You said you have the Reds and Excuse the Braves. Excuse me, the Reds and the Twins. There we I go. apologize. <laughs> that there deserves a good That's official. Okay, that is on go. me. Reds and Braves would be very difficult to meet in the World Series, given the fact that they're meeting in the wild card This round. was what our biggest concern was with what you said, BK. Bad <laughs> shot by me. That's okay. Um, be better. Speaking of teams that are moving on, though, Major League Baseball got its villain back yesterday. Did you guys see what Carlos Correa had to say after the game, whenever the Astros beat my Minnesota Twins. That guy just can't stop himself, can he? I loved it too. Let's take a listen as to what Carlos Correa had to say. I know a lot of people are mad. I know a lot of people don't want to see us here, but what are they going to say now? You know, we're a solid team. We play great baseball. We won a series on the road in Minnesota. So what are they going to say now? This is what baseball Uh. needs. It was really quiet all season long. I didn't hear much of anything out of the Astros, and some of that is because they were a disappointing team. If I'm not mistaken, I think they got in with a under 500 record this year, 29 and 31 yeah, on the season. Yeah, that's exactly what I was just about to say. I don't know if I'd be pumping my tires too too much here. Yeah, their best hitter hit like what mid 200s, Jose Altuve. Yeah, it, it was a really bad year for them. 
But they are back, boys. They are officially back. They're going into the ALDS, and they want you to know, not only did they win, I thought it was really interesting that Carlos Correa said, we won in Minnesota. And by the way, no fans in the stands. Everybody can hear everything that's happening, both on the field and in the dugouts. They're making sure you know we did not win because of trash cans this time around. Oh, congrats, Carlos. You beat a team that's 19 straight losing streak in the postseason. Who's your next opponent? Oh, it's the Yankees. Uh, yeah, oh, that might be okay. Oh, okay, let's find out what happens there, Carlos. Be dragging trash cans to the bubble. Carlos, don't brag about beating a team that's lost, what, 18, 19 in a 19. row in the postseason? Like, a lot. Bro, come on now. Underrated, uh, cursed sports city, by the way, Minneapolis. Underrated, cursed sports city. They have had yeah. a lot yeah. go wrong up there. They have had basically zero success over the last 20 years with professional and sports. Think about that, too. I mean... Not just the baseball side, but basketball. You have Carl Anthony yeah. Towns. You have Kevin Garnett for so long, and you can't win. Minnesota, you hand out $200 million contracts to two of the best players on free agency, and you still can't win. Yeah, I'm with you. The Vikings Oof. haven't done much. I mean, the last team to win was the, the Twins the way twins. back when, right? Mm-hmm. Like Kent Herbeck and Kirby Puckett and those guys. <laughs> Basically, it's been 30 years since anything in terms of like championships have happened with Minnesota. So an underrated all-time sports curse town in Minneapolis. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Five degrees, beautiful weather. The Cardinals are in the playoffs. They just beat the Padres. The Blues are getting ready to re-sign Alex Petrangelo. That one's fake, but I believe that's going to happen eventually. <laughs> All Everything's great in the world. I'm hosting a show with Jamie Rivers. This is my lifelong dream come true. Meanwhile, Jamie comes back after the break. I've got beef. I'm so upset. Jeez. I'm so upset. Re- Jamie, what's going on? I've Let's dive into the junk drawer. Okay. Walk down the hall. We have a limited amount of time during the breaks to try and, oh, I don't know, use the bathroom, get a water. In this case, get a coffee. Now, I brought this up before. So anybody who listens regularly, I've brought this up before. Here's a little visual. We have three coffee pots in our lunch area. And usually there's a little bit of one left, but I'm always mad because nobody believes in replenishing the coffee, which, by the way, 5.7 seconds is what it takes to put a new filter in, push the thing back in, and hit start. Jamie's 40 time and the amount of time that it takes to refill the coffee pot. Same thing. Well, that's cute. Thank you very much, Mo. Now, moving on, I go down there today. I need a little pick-me-up. It is beautiful at 65 degrees. A little hot coffee, you know, a little soup for the soul. Not one drop in any of the coffee pots bone dry nothing it's calm that- down michael calm no, down i won't is it that hard is it that hard i every time i go down That's there bk you said. see it with your own eyes i replenish the coffee right or wrong am i lying right now no you you try to as no, often no, as I, you can i've seen you not a couple of times well when it's full what's worse whenever you go in and it's completely empty or when you go in and it's like a little drop that's still in there. Oh, they're both aggravating on different levels, okay? <laughs> but I do feel this way. At least if there's a little bit, I, it can carry me over to like the next break, right? And then I can brew that pot of coffee. When there's nothing, there's just nothing. 
So I'm not happy. You are a factory of sadness. No, I'm not. And I'm calling out everybody here at Hubbard Radio. Be better with the coffee. So are you upset? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm upset. I'm sad. So why didn't conflicted. you? You said it takes 5.7 seconds, 5.7. Right? Why didn't you make it? Great I did. point. I just did, BK. So how? Why, it why doesn't you brew coffee? that fast, though. Oh. I know you went to college, but I know coffee making has to be somewhere in there. Hey. <laughs> so you want somebody else to brew your coffee just, for no, you? I just brewed somebody else's. It's a team game. I'm actually pretty sure that you brewed that for you. Hey. But... Oh my God! <laughs> oh, Every time I go in, that, yeah. that's it. We're gonna be things are being thrown hey, in here. Ribs. BK's getting through the window here in a minute. Hey, ribs. The best is yet to come. It would be the brew is yet to come. No, Let's that, go. It wasn't good. Quiet. <laughs> We're in the junk drawer, and I have been told that Alex Ferrario has a little something he'd like to throw in for us today. Boys, anytime it's coffee. No, that's you're gonna throw coffee a little All bit right. later on. Boys, anytime I can take shots at BK's guys, I'm going to. Oh, come on. Oh, wow. And this what? this All deserves ears. to be in the junk drawer. So Kyrie Irving, big uh, off-season destination as he, along with Kevin Durant, signed in Brooklyn. Yeah, the flat earther Kyrie yeah. Irving. Well, he came back on that and said that he got I mean, down a rabbit hole on That's YouTube. Matters. So we all know Kyrie Irving won the NBA championship when he was in Cleveland no, with LeBron. But the Cavs won the championship. Okay. Kyrie was well, on the team. Not according to Alex finish, please? Not according to Kyrie because he has just come out and basically said, this is the first time in my career that I can look down and be like, dang, that MFer can make that shot Two, talking about Kevin Durant. So Kyrie Irving is saying this is the first time in his mm. career that he can look LeBron at another James player. carried his ass to the Ooh, NBA Finals. Yeah. And did yeah. he win? Yes. And, and is the earth round? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. So Kyrie Irving is saying in the first time in his career, he's got a teammate who can actually play basketball. Yeah, he's got a teammate. Better, more yet, teammate. Teammate. Yes, teammate. How's that worked out for him so far out in Brooklyn? They didn't how play did, together. How's it worked out, out for, for LeBron? Kyrie's got Fantastic. A, well, he's in the NBA no. Finals. Has he won yet? He's up in he's the MVP. Won. Record number of times to the finals, and he's yeah. only got, what, two rings? Three. 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 Well, three. and all three of those. Now it ain't going to be four. And all three of those. Butler's about to check night. into this thing. All three of those have had to have somebody else. He's coming back. I talked to him. The only way LeBron won was because of Bosch and Wade, because of Kyrie Irving, and now because of Anthony no, Davis. That's AD. First of all, ridiculous on all counts. Second of all, Kyrie Irving's a losing basketball player. A loser. An absolute what? loser on the basketball court. <laughs> Who is? Kyrie Irving. Uh, I, wow. Now he's just been BK. The Celtics. What happened to the Celtics after he left? They got better. You yeah. know why? Because he wasn't on the court anymore. Are they in the finals right now? No, but where are the Nets? They didn't even make it to the playoffs yeah, this did. year. Yeah, they did. Kevin Durant had a messed up ankle, I think. Kevin they, Durant opted the team out. Yeah, They literally didn't make the playoffs this year. <laughs> the Nets were a disaster every time that Kyrie Irving took the court. Guess what they were better at whenever he didn't play this year than when he did play this year? The game of basketball. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Kyrie Irving is a loser. <laughs> wow. He's a losing basketball player. We've got Kyrie coming in tomorrow for in person. Yeah, he's joining us at 1145. I hope so. Should be fine. By the I'll way, roast his ass. <laughs> did you hear his flat earth thing? He basically retracted that by saying, oh, well, I got driven down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos. So now, no, the earth round. He wanted his own basketball team. He wanted to be his own man. So he left <laughs> LeBron James to go play for the Celtics to get dunked on in the playoffs every year. Sweet, Kyrie. Awesome. Glad you have a teammate that can make that big shot now as he's player. sitting on the sidelines because he just tore his Achilles a year ago. All right. Sweet. 
<laughs> oh, you are fired up. Kyrie gets me going a little Text bit. Text line from the 314. It would be hilarious if someone went in there and dumped out Rivers Fresh Coffee. I will do that once this next break happens. I will absolutely come apart at the seams. <laughs> I want to see that. Can you do me a huge yeah. favor? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll walk Ryder. off right now. Ryder, will you go dump out the coffee Wait. that's being made? It's a walk off. <laughs> Ryder's doing it. There we go. Ryder, Ryder gra- if you value your life. <laughs> I so, swear to. I do have one of- thing that I would like to throw in <laughs> to the mix. So Subway is one of my go to fast food restaurants, right? Mm. I enjoy a Subway sandwich. Unfortunately, what I was unaware of is by going to Subway, I'm not technically eating bread. This was determined by, uh, I believe it was somewhere over in Europe. A court has ruled. A court? That, huh? A court of law. Yes. Okay. A court of law has ruled that the dough baked for Subway sandwiches has sugar content of roughly 10% of the weight of its flour content, which means that it does not meet the requirements to be actual bread. And we now have Mike Ryder coming into the studio to pour fresh coffee for Jamie Ryder. We said dump it out, not dump it into his cup. See, that's a teammate. You're no LeBron James, Mike Ryder. You're a good teammate. (laughs) Okay, sugar, more than flour, Subway bread. Pick it up where you left off. BK, when you're eating a Subway sandwich, you're not even eating bread. It has too much sugar to be considered bread. Did you guys know this? I this did is not. Wild. I thought Subway was supposed to be eat fresh. It's good for you. Yeah, it's the healthy supposed alternative. To, yeah, healthy alternative. Like, yeah, literally, you're eating a dessert. Right? I knew there was a reason when you walked into Subway and when you walk out, you can't get that smell out of you. Like it is, Whoa. it is attached to you. Have you ever gone to Subway and then left and been like, boy, it smells like Subway? No, no. just me. Okay, never cool. once. N- not ever. Sometimes actually. sugar in the bread's good though. Have you guys ever been to um, uh, Pescetti's? The buns, yeah. the little rolls. The, no, not the rolls. It's it's like sandwich bread, and they use sugar in their bread. It's huh. phenomenal. Well, yeah, sugar is in all bread, at least some amount of sugar. BK's an experienced baker. Oh, or you're an ex- no. Me and Joey Vitale, we yeah. were in on a business together. No, you're not. Don't you okay. take away the bread name. No, but there's always sugar in bread, but apparently not as much as they have in Subway. Maybe that's why it's so delicious. 618, six-inch sub bread has as much sugar as an Oreo. All right. <laughs> Not actually, sure I'm concerned about that. I was about to say, that actually makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. It's very good. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Jamie has his coffee. He's in a good mood again. Coming up next, I'm going to be in a good mood because we're going to be joined by our friend Ben Heisler. He's a sports gambling and fantasy football analyst for Sports Illustrated. How in the hell am I supposed to deal with the fact that I've got Titans and Steelers on my fantasy team this week <laughs> and they aren't playing a football game? What am I supposed to do about this? We'll ask Ben Heisler when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Heisler is one of the best in the business, and it's time for some fantasy advice with our guy Benny Heis. He's a sports and gamble, or excuse me, sports gambling and fantasy football analyst for Sports Illustrated. Joins us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Heis, how you doing today, man? What's happening, Rivers? BK, how we living? Uh, we're good. We'd we're be good. better if I didn't have a bunch of Steelers on my fantasy teams this year, and I knew what the hell I was supposed to do because I've got Big Ben, I've got Juju Smith-Schuster, I got James Conner. Heiss, I know some of our listeners are in the same spot that I'm in right now. What are we supposed to do now that the Titans in the Steelers game has officially been postponed? 
Yeah, it's a bummer. And I actually just wrote about this over at SI.com slash fantasy. It's basically you're treating this as if the waiver wire just sort of had a do-over. And now you're just back from square one. You're trying to figure out, okay, how do I make sure I try and have a couple of options still left so that I can get through my rosters? So I think if you're looking for a couple guys to pivot off of, you know, whether you have Ryan Tannehill, Ben Roethlisberger, Derek Henry, James Conner, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster quietly is in the number nine wide receiver in PPR this year. But if you're looking for some alternatives, you have somebody like Teddy Bridgewater, who's available in 83% of leagues. Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, available in about 85% of leagues. Both of these guys have really intriguing matchups this week. Panthers are going up against Arizona. That's 22nd against the pass. Conversely, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I know that he didn't put up great numbers last week in the win against Jacksonville. He was just really efficient, and they let the ground game take control. But Seattle is dead last in the NFL, stopping the pass. They've given up all sorts of big touchdowns all season long. So you can go with somebody like him, maybe even pair him up with Preston Williams, who could be available. Uh, if you're looking for running backs, maybe Jeffrey Wilson of the 49ers. It's crazy, BK and Rivers, to pick up a guy that at one point was the fourth string running back on the team, but the 49ers are just loaded at the position. Uh, you can even hold your nose and even consider Frank Gore no. going up against <laughs> yes! I mean, you don't have to nope. I'm yes! if you're completely and totally desperate you can go ahead and pick up Frank Gore considering the Jets are actually two and a half point favorites at home against the Broncos so there's plenty of other options available treat this like a waiver wire spot treat this as if those guys are on a bye yes we'll get that game in at some point but you can't just go ahead and, and take the L treat, treat this aggressively yeah, hi. Okay, you mentioned Frank Gore a little bit there. I wanted to circle back to this Thursday night barn burner of a matchup that we're going to have. I'll call it the showdown here this evening. If people have somebody, we talked about Frank Gore, but is there anybody else on either team that could have a big night tonight? Probably not. I mean, maybe maybe the defenses. Like, if you're going to get excited about playing fantasy defenses and maybe consider the Broncos going up against Darnold as in a turnover machine, or maybe even consider the Jets going up against the Broncos' third-string quarterback, I suppose that's in play. Um, I, I think a couple guys that are still worthy of being able to be startable options include Melvin Gordon. The offense is just going to have to go through him. You have Brett Ripon, who's the third-string quarterback going up for Denver, so it's not really expected that he'll be this great playmaker right out of the shoot. Uh, and then I suppose from the Jets' side, you know, Jamison Crowder is going to give it a go tonight. Uh, saw 13 targets in week one, had over 115 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he's just a very safe, high-floor option for Sam Darnold, and even if he's not at 100%, I still would imagine that Darnold is likely targeting him a bunch in this game. But after that, guys, a whole lot of slim pickings for just what feels like just a disgusting. It feels like one of those NFL games where you got to like shower afterwards. That's, I'm not feeling it tonight. I've never missed Dolphins Jags the way that I'm going to tonight. Like last week they gave us Dolphins Jags. And they're like, hey, if you if you were willing to watch that one, let's see if you'll be also willing to watch Broncos Jets we, this week. This is awful. Um, we do have to make picks for our station heist, and we do technically have to pick this game. The Jets are a one and a half point home favorite in this one. If you were to pick a side in this one and you go to the FanDuel Paradise Sports book and use the promo code Brandon and maybe you want to get some action because there's no other reason to watch this game which side do you like in this I 
still like the Denver side because everything that I've read about Brett Ripon is that this is a guy that's going to sling it a little bit. He's not going to be like Jeff Driscoll and, and Duncan and Duncan down the field. Uh, he's not going to have some costly turnovers. Um, I, I think they're actually fairly high on this kid. And I also think there's just more talent on both sides of the ball compared to the Jets. I think the Jets are, are getting the slight bump because of the fact that it's at home, because nobody knows who Brett Ripon is. I may not even be pronouncing his name. I think it's Ripon. I don't know nice. what. <laughs> Brett Ripon. Okay, so there you go. I'm looking at it purely from a number standpoint. Uh, but I, I do think Denver probably still has an edge. Like, if you're trying to tell me that this is the game that Adam Gase has to manage to keep his job, like, is anybody with the New York Jets organization really going to go and win one for the Gipper and just try to rally around Adam Gase? <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Denver is a better team. Jerry Judy's still a terrific wide receiver. He could get involved as well. Melvin Gordon could see a bunch of action. Uh, and I just don't think it's going to be an inspired performance, regardless of what the line would indicate. So I would take the Broncos. All right, Ice. Are we at the point where we can start Michael Thomas? That's a really good question. I, I don't know just yet. The initial reviews were fairly positive coming out of practice on Wednesday, Sean Payton mentioned that he was moving around particularly well. Um, I, I mean, I love the matchup. You're going up against the Lions, who have given up since last year the most air yards to any wide receiver, um, and they're 29th currently in pro football focus's pass coverage ranking. So um, this is sort of that sneaky shootout of the week. I think the, the Saints defense has had all sorts of issues stopping the pass this year. So if Thomas is able to give it a go, then I don't feel I, I don't think there's one issue in making sure that he's locked in on your fantasy lineups. It's just one of those situations, uh, Rivers, where I think you just have to watch the injury report, make sure he doesn't end up back on there last minute. Um, I, I think the the goal was always to get back to week four. Uh, and I think that's where they're going to end up getting. But it's just one of those wait and see type things. If I'm a good team and the team that has Michael Thomas is a bad team right now, should I be trying to buy low? Because I'm looking at this schedule. Heist. You got the Lions, Chargers, Panthers, Bears. Uh, Michael Thomas, if he is actually healthy, could really have some big weeks here. Should I be trying to buy low on him before he comes back? I think you might have missed that window, BK. I think the time to have bought low on Michael Thomas was like as soon as he got hurt. Because then you have fantasy managers trying to scramble, trying to figure out, okay, how long is he going to be out? There was reports that it could have been four to six weeks, and now appears like it could only be two or three. Um, you can always try. You know, I, I think Michael Thomas, even somebody like A.J. Brown, I think especially now is like the ideal time to buy low on A.J. Brown with the Tennessee Titans because he's missed the last two games. And now – fantasy managers are having to deal with the fact that that game got postponed. So I think with Michael Thomas, he's in that too high of a tier to consider buying low on. You can certainly try, but I think the real buy low target that I'm really into so far is AJ Brown. We're talking with Ben Heisler. You can find his work on sports illustrated where he's a sports gambling and fantasy football analyst for him. You can also follow him on Twitter at Benny Heist. Heist, you mentioned uh, going into tonight's game, Adam Gase might be coaching for his job. I've got some odds in front of me right now um on from bovada on the first coached fired he's two to one i got dan quinn at three and a half to one along with matt patricia bill o'brien is eight to one doug marone is 14 to one and anthony lynn with mike zimmer at 18 to one who do you like right now in terms of the odds to be the first coach fired this season well considering that 
if the Jets have to win this game tonight for Adam Gase to keep his job, and we don't think the Jets are going to win tonight, <laughs> I think you have to go with the favorite here. I think that's the likely direction to go. Um, it, the Dan Quinn thing is, is stunning to me, right? Like this back-to-back, just brutal fourth-quarter losses uh, on top of what we remember from the Super Bowl. It's just not a good characteristic with this team. And, yeah, they were dealing with some injuries last week. Not having Julio Jones is going to be impactful, but – uh, they still couldn't stop Nick Foles and a Bears offense that was very mediocre, if not bad this year, from coming back against them. And think about it from this perspective, too. If the Falcons were to have fixed their defense that allowed Dan Quinn to keep his job a season ago, but what happened? You know, if, if that was the, 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 the rationale and the factor in keeping him there and that defense can't stop anybody anymore, I, I'm not sure what they're doing. So I, I think they're favorites for a reason on Bovada. I think you probably have to go in that order. And again, I, I think all the reports coming out of New York is that if, if the Jets can't beat the Broncos and, and Brett Rippon, now that I got his name <laughs> right, they can't beat him, uh, I, I think he's going to be done. Uh, a couple quick questions left for you, Heist. Chiefs are playing the Patriots this week after they had that Monday night showdown against the Ravens. They looked fantastic against Baltimore. Now they're a seven-point home favorite against the Patriots. Is there a little value, in your opinion, on this Patriots team going into Kansas City? I, that's a really, really tough line. And by the way, the last couple of weeks, we, we've gotten it right with the Chiefs. Uh, you know, took them, uh, you know, went against them when they went to Los Angeles to take on the Chargers, then got right back on board against the Ravens. Um, it, to the clarify, Heiss, you've had it right the last two weeks. I have had it yeah, wrong. BK each of had it wrong last weeks. week. Listen, listen, I, I consider this to be to be a team effort here. You know, this, this is our picks together. You know, we it's also a good way for us to keep our record up. So that's another way to sort of, you know, factor in the system. Yeah, I, I, I just don't have a lean on this at this point. And I know that feels like a cop out answer, guys, but seven kind of feels like the right number. Like the Chiefs should be in control. Uh, I think Cam Newton could be in line for a really big game, especially with Julian Edelman, maybe even Nikhil Harry, considering that you do have some substantial injuries. Lajarius Sneed uh, is now going on injured reserve for the Kansas City Chiefs. So they're going to be without a couple of their, their major cornerbacks. And remember, Rashad Breland doesn't come back until uh, until next week, I don't believe. So that's, that's fairly substantial. I, I think if I had to lean in one direction, I think the Patriots – could probably cover that seven and this game kind of end up being a little bit closer than we anticipate. But I mean, this is what Kansas city does. They, they just win big games and they take care of business and it doesn't really matter how good and how talented of a defense they're going up against Pat Mahomes can beat them. So I think my initial lean right now is to take Patriots and hope that that number goes up to seven and a half. We've already seen this line move from eight to seven. Uh, so I imagine that's probably where it's going to end up, but yeah, tough to lean on this one, guys. But if I, you know, gun to my head, I suppose I take the Patriots at plus seven. Final question for you, Heist. What's your pick of the week? Is there one game in particular that you're just loving right now? Yeah, I, I love the Saints minus four going on the road against Detroit. I, I think a lot of people are down on New Orleans right now. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily fair. I, I think an offensive environment favors New Orleans. Um, and, and I just don't know how the, the Lions are going to stop Drew Brees. Brees was not a guy that I was looking to take in a bunch of rosters um, in season long this year, I just kind of felt they were going to be a little bit more ground and pound with Camara middle across the field. And I thought he was going to get some touchdowns vultured by the likes of Taysom Hill, but uh, the lions play man to man defense. And that's pretty much it. And Bree should be able to just pick them apart 
with all the talent that he has around them, especially with Kamara. Michael Thomas comes back. Uh, the Lions got a big win uh, at Arizona. That surprised a lot of people, but I, I don't think they're going to do it again at home. Uh, the Saints minus four feels like the absolute right side and the right play here. Heist, we always appreciate a man. He's a sports gambling and fantasy football analyst over at Sports Illustrated. Follow him on Twitter at Benny Heiss. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today, man. Enjoyed the games this weekend. All right, boys, be good. We'll talk to you next week. You got it. That's Ben Heisler joining us here on 101 ESPN. A couple of things to pass along for you, Jamie. First of all, Chase Claypool, the rookie wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, just tweeted this. Apparently, the Steelers are having a rookie dinner this weekend instead of their game. Oh, boy. He tweeted, quote, a rookie dinner instead of a game this week? Yeah, Titans, I'm going to need a reimbursement from (laughs) y'all after this one. Also, one more thing to pass along. Kyrie Irving is still talking right now uh, to the media. He was speaking on their coaching situations where, of course, they just hired Steve Nash to be their head coach, their head basketball coach for the Brooklyn Nets. Awesome choice. Great choice. Hall of Fame choice. Canadian guy. Some may say. Quote. Good hockey player, too. I don't really see us having a head coach. KD could be a head coach. I could be the head coach on some days. He also adds Jacques Vaughn could be a head coach, could do it one day. It's going to be a collaborative effort. That's always positive when you have your star players thinking they can coach a team. God, I can't wait to see that chemistry. Didn't somebody do that in Miami? Hmm. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. Eric Spolstra was the clear head coach mm-hmm. down in LeBron Miami. LeBron and Dwayne Wade were the head oh, coaches. Oh, and Chris Bosh. They, yeah. they were running ship down Someone there. Someone did that before. Yep. They didn't. They weren't successful with it either. Nope, didn't work. They went to four straight finals. Yeah, but they didn't win Won all of them. Won two of them. They didn't win all of them, though. Cheated 50%? Cheated You're happy with 50%? Come on. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Kyrie Irving's a loser. He continues to be a loser, losing player at least, up in Brooklyn. <laughs> Coming up next, you know who's not a loser? The Cardinals. They won last night. I think they're going to win it again tonight. I'll tell you what the key is against Zach Davies. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's a guy that is, to me, the typical pitcher that frustrates the Cardinals in the postseason. Doesn't throw hard, mixes and matches, hits his spots, doesn't walk anyone. You know, I just, I, I'm having a morning of flashbacks apparently, but, you know, the Cardinals could not handle Barry Zito in a postseason series. These guys that, you know, the Tom Glavins, these soft tossing pitchers who just know how to pitch. Those are the guys the Cardinals historically have had issues with. Um, but the guys who try it, like Chris Paddock, who wants to throw 98 by you, they're out into the third inning. Yeah, Greg Amzinger was way more worried about Zach Davies than I am. Ooh. Way more worried about Zach Davies than I am. Zach Davies, nice ERA this season. Nice ERA. It's all fake. He's not as good as his ERA looks. Oh, God. Buddy. Why? This is a guy that's going to throw 88 miles an hour. He's got a nice sinker that he works with. He's got a cutter. And really, it's the changeup. The changeup is what you got to worry about with Zach Davies, which, yes, I know has given the Cardinals some issues this year. But his weakest pitch is the sinker. And here's the game plan for the Cardinals. I'm going to give it to you right now. Okay? Write this down, Jamie. This is going to be what you're watching today. I got a pencil here. He throws it first pitch against lefties about 50% of the time. So 50% of the time, you're going to be right every time. He throws it first pitch against the righties about 55% of the time. Sinker. That's what you're looking for. 
With two strikes, that's when he goes to the changeup. So don't get down to the count. Swing first pitch, guess sinker. That's going to be their aggressive style the way that it was yesterday, and it worked for them early. First pitch swing, Goldie hits a homer. Carlson hits a changeup for his double. First pitch swing for Yachty on his RBI. DeYoung was waiting on the fastball for his ribby. And then a first pitch swing for Carpenter to bring the runner home. Early on yesterday, they were swinging early. They were aggressive. They were ambushing Paddock. You should expect the exact same approach today against Davies. Opponents hit 288 against his sinker this season. They hit just 175 against his changeup. He's got a really good changeup. You got to attack the sinker, and he throws it a lot on first pitch. So the Cardinals cannot be waiting the way that they did most of the season. They got to get out there and be aggressive. Is he a righty or a lefty? Davies a righty, I believe. Okay. Yeah, righty. Interesting. Okay. Right. Uh, I just always like to know and see what the Cardinals are dealing with. And, well, my point is, is yesterday they ran up against a guy who was a righty and was similar in stuff. I won't say exactly the same, but similar in stuff. And they obviously had some success against it. So uh, I'm looking at it the same way. And, uh, you know, hopefully it works out. I am a little concerned that you may have just BKO'd the Cardinals. Oh, stop. It's, jinxes aren't real. Oh, my God. Why would you say that? Okay, hang on. Jinxes aren't real, but BKOs are. Yeah. It's a true well, statement. Well, what happened to Dylan Carlson? I said yesterday Dylan Carlson's going to have a great game, and guess what happened? Dylan Carlson was tremendous yesterday. I said the Cardinals were going to make the playoffs, and guess what they did? They made the playoffs. You've Paul DeYoung, had a... I said, was going to come back. He was great yesterday. <laughs> There's no evidence otherwise. <laughs> yeah, we're going to put together a hit list one day. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, Amzinger is 100% correct. Two words, Kyle Hendricks. Cardinals cannot hit change-ups or soft-throwing pitchers. So here's the thing. Kyle Hendricks is really good. He dominates everybody. His change-up, we look at it, and we're like, why can't the Cardinals ever hit him? Because we're watching the Cardinals. Kyle Hendricks does that against almost everybody that he goes up against. I'm looking right now at what he was able to do in terms of like the underlying metrics, his actual metrics, the ERA and everything, all amazing for Kyle Hendricks. His underlying metrics are every bit as good. Yeah, he throws soft, but exit velocity, nobody's able to hit the ball hard against him. That's not the same case for for Zach Davies going into this one. People get barrels against him. They hit the ball hard against him. He's not the same stylistically similar to Kyle Hendricks. In terms of his effectiveness, nowhere near as good as a Kyle Look, Hendricks. Look, you don't need the argument of, well, the Cardinals don't really have tape on pitchers to work right now because they don't need tape against Zach Davies. He's pitched in the NL Central his entire career. He's a Milwaukee Brewer for a very long time. Cardinals have the third best batting average against Zach Davies among any team he's pitched against. You know who's been awesome against him? Matt Carpenter. Yes. Oh, yeah. I saw he's like 12 for 25 or he's something like, like that. He's got like a 1.38 OPS against Yeah, 1,500 OPS. It's like unbelievable. Three dingers or something, too. Uh-huh. But the team, I mean, if you look at the NL Central alone, isolate the NL Central splits for the Zach Davies. Cardinals 294 batting off of him. The Cincinnati Reds 293. The Chicago Cubs 249. So the Cardinals have Zach Davies' number, which is a good thing when you think of the amount of players on this roster that have seen him multiple times. 
they need to be aggressive against him. And they've had the right, they've had the right approach against him in the past. Like you said, uh, for Rio, they've been really good against him. And Matt Carpenter in particular has been really effective. Basically every time that he sees Zach Davies in the past, Paul DeYoung's had some success against him. They've got a lot of guys that have been pretty successful against Zach Davies in the past. This is not somebody that they're seeing for the first time. The Cardinals offense should go out there today and be respectable. I'm not saying they're going to go out there and put up 10 runs in the first inning against Davies, but they should be able to do something similar to what they did yesterday where they get ahead early and now your pitching's in a good spot early on. You're able to set up your pin as a result of that. I think that's what we're going to see today against them. Now, speaking of our pitching and our pen, and I want to ask this question from earlier when we talked about Adam Wainwright a while back. You know, the Padres have a lot of guys in that bot- batter's box that make me nervous. When you look at Tatis and then Machado and then even Tommy Pham, and you look at some of the hits that came off were a little harder than we would like them to be mm-hmm. yesterday. guy like Adam Wainwright, what's his best strategy with those guys? Like, how do you pitch those guys consistently to keep them quiet? Wayno, I, I heard the cat say this earlier today when he was on with Danny Mac, and Wayno always finds something that is working for him. It's not always the same thing. It might be the sinker one day. It might be the curveball one day. Maybe he has his changeup working. He's going to find something. And so that's what he's got to do early in this one, because once you get back through that lineup for the second time, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer and Will Myers, if you if you go to one thing too many times against them, they will make you pay for it. And it'll end up in the bleachers as a result. And Wayno's got to find that. And I believe that he will. I think that he's the type of guy every time that they've needed him in a big spot this year. He's come through and I expect nothing different today. So, Jamie, to your point, like, I don't know what it's going to be today because I'm not sure on any day what it's going to be for Wayno. Very well, maybe his curveball, but I would be a little worried against a lineup like this that has so much power that they just pound that thing into the seats. So I I, I don't know what it's going to be. I really don't. I, I just hope that he finds something early that is effective. And once he does, he's going to go with that for the majority of the game. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Speaking of what he's going to be able to do tonight, one key to this game was what the Cardinals did against the middle of that order yesterday. And if you looked at the middle of the order, the top four in the Padres lineup combined three for 17. They had zero extra base hits. They had four strikeouts. That's one of the best top fours of any lineup in all of baseball. And the Cardinals held them down yesterday. You don't have to have them go three for 17 again today, but you need to hold those guys down a little bit. They can't be getting extra base hits on you consistently. You've got to be able to manage that top of the lineup. You do a little damage early on. Those are your key to the game and make sure that early on you're aggressive. You're ambushing Davies because that's the way that you're going to be able to get to him. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service tax line coming up next. Are we sure? That's coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. And Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Are We Sure? Let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, are we sure Hubbard actually has a coffee pot for on-air talent? We're not sure about that. Well, Jamie has a couple of gripes today. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful one, day. Cardinals on TV later tonight. You're going to hear them right here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> they do have coffee pots for on-air talent if you're part of the Riz show. 
<laughs> I love those guys, and I'm glad they get their copy. Did you know that we now have an exclusive Keurig in the office, That's a good by the point. Way? That is a good point by you. Brad Barnes, uh, lovable meat here. He brought in a Keurig and put it on the desk and openly texted us and said, Hey, guys, if you're interested, you know, I've got a Keurig. Now you have to bring your own pods for it. You yeah. know, I'm not going to do well, I'm not going to get off my wallet and help you out that way. However, it is a nice gesture. By the way, I did see Riz earlier today of the Rizzuto show this morning. I walked by the kitchen, and he was dumping both pots of coffee out, and he said, take this, Jamie Rivers. Are you sure it wasn't Burton? Might have been Burton. I get them too very confused every once in a while. They're all out to get me. Yeah, they're they don't out like to you. get me in the pick He was challenge. laughing when he was doing it, too. I'm telling you. It makes sense, honestly. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Are We Sure? Guys, are we sure that the Cardinals' offensive issues weren't actually more to do with the NL Central pitching than their lineup itself. The Braves so far in this series have been held to just two runs over 19 innings against the Reds starting pitching. Now, don't don't look at what the Dodgers did and don't look at what the Marlins did last night, but look at what the Reds are doing to this imposing <laughs> Braves lineup. Are we sure that it wasn't just the pitching that they were going up against this year, Jamie? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it wasn't just the pitching. Um, there are, there, I'll tell you what, there is some good pitching in the NL Central, that's for sure. I mean, you go down team for team for team, they've got some great pitchers. However, I do think that overall, the, the offensive struggle Goals, they've been there like even before this season. So, uh, yeah, I'm not willing to chalk it up to just NL Central pitching. Yeah, I'm pretty sure on that as well because the other team in the NL Central that the Cardinals unfortunately couldn't find a way to hit were the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, well, and they're going well in the postseason. Let's be honest here. Let's, let's stick in the Central and go to the AL. Couldn't find a way to hit the Kansas City Royals either. On the plus side, nobody's had a hit against either of those two teams in the playoffs. It's a good point. Tell me why I'm wrong. Not, they're not major I mean, league teams, of course. I mean, technically, you're not wrong. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Are We Sure? Guys, are we sure? By the way, oh, we're definitely sure. It wasn't the NL Central. <laughs> it was the sign Are we sure that Harrison Bader should start tonight for the Cardinals uh, after he struck out five times yesterday? Ribs, he's going to try and trick you on this. So yeah, are you sure? The, are you sure with a negative and then a positive and a negative? Are you no, sure? That, that was what a question. Are, are we, we sure? sure that Harrison Bader should start tonight for the Cardinals after he struck out five times? No, I'm not sure he should start. So you don't think he should? No, I've said earlier in the show and you got all mad and puffed up and started spewing numbers out at me, which is never a good sign because that means you're right. And that's always difficult. Uh, I don't know. I mean, probably should. Okay. But I also think that it will maybe not a bad idea to shake it up a little bit early on. Dylan Carlson in center, Tyler O'Neill in left. See if O'Neill can, you know, strike at the plate, and if he can't, you switch it up. Go Carlson over to left, Harrison Bader into second, and you lock it down. BK, that you're familiar with that fence? Well, I've just hopped over it on your side because you convinced me earlier. Oh, here we I go. Th- I, I leave the room for coffee, no, and this I, is what happens. I think Harrison Bader should start. I mean, let's be honest here. <laughs> what, we, what happened? I know. The, the text line has even blown up on BK's side, but he persuaded me. Well, I mean, let's look, not get carried away. Blown up. Two positives in one day. Every once in a while, Keith will send a text in. But look, I think <laughs> Harrison, he's on the other side. Harrison Bader is the center fielder for this team moving forward, and you can't make an argument other way on that. I think Tyler O'Neill has been outplayed by Dylan Carlson. Obviously, you know Dexter Fowler's here, and you're not going to play a Tyler O'Neill over a Harrison Bader. So I think if this is the guy you're moving forward with and he's your nine-hole hitter of the future, then let's just get him going sooner or later. Give him some confidence. Harrison Bader is a unequivocally better defender than Tyler O'Neill. Point-blank period. That's not apples to apples, though.
Because Tyler O'Neill being left field, Dylan Carlson being center. I understand, game. but what I'm saying is, is still that unequivocally better. Yes, hey, if you put Harrison Marginally. Bader one for one in left field, he yeah. would be better in left field, in center field, and right field, anywhere on the field. <laughs> He's a better defender than Tyler ah, O'Neill. You guys are using too big of words. If, unequivocally, yeah. marginally. I'm lost now. If you look at what he's done at the plate this year, Harrison Bader has been better. This is not an opinion. It is a fact. Harrison Bader has been better than Tyler O'Neill this year at batting average, on base percentage, slugging percentage, expecting batting average, any of the very minute <laughs> details of the game when it comes Nailed to coming it. at the plate. Harrison That's Bader has really been much of a difference. better this year at the plate <laughs> than Tyler O'Neill, And it's not just this year either. In his career, he's been better than Tyler O'Neill. Harrison uh, Bader the last three years. I apologize, St. Louis. I has apologize. a 727 OPS. Tyler O'Neill over the last three years, a 713 OPS. Tyler O'Neill is not better than Harrison Bader. That is not to say that Harrison Bader is a great player. He is very flawed as a player, as we saw yesterday when he became the third player in MLB history to strike out five times in a playoff game. So, so I are believe you, you sure call it or the not? Platinum sombrero. However, the alternative Wherever is worse. That came from. The alternative is worse than Harrison Bader right now. Yes, I am very much sure he should start today in center field for the Cardinals because they are a defense and pitching first team, and Harrison Bader is your best defender in the outfield. Ah. <laughs> Guys, are we sure? that people are going to count this title for LeBron James now that the Heat just announced Bam Adebayo, their best big man, and Goran Dragic, one of their best guards, are going to be out in game number two for the Miami Heat. Are we sure that people are even going to count this title for LeBron? Okay, hang on a second here. I'm going to go a little bit tinfoil on this one. Oh, you need your tinfoil uh, music? I need, I'm going to need a little background All right, music I'm going to find it. on this one. Go ahead and get started. It'll join you momentarily. Okay, so you just said that the Heat are going to have two of their best players. Isn't you said Jimmy Butler's already out too or something? He's hurt. He's got a he's got a sprained ankle. Okay, so here we go. Conspiracy theory. The NBA right now, it's been a trying year. They've ended up in the bubble at Disney World. Maybe the revenue isn't quite what it should oh be. Oh, my God. All right? But here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that our little buddy LeBron James wins his championship. So, hey, Miami Heat, guess what? You're going to lose all your big men. Something's going to happen. It's just crazy how this works, right? LeBron gets to march off into L.A., which, by the way, is one of our biggest markets. And win a championship and continue to grow the game of basketball. Blech. First of all, props to you on the tinfoil there. Like that is <laughs> that's some A plus conspiracy theory stuff there, Ribs. I appreciate that. <laughs> Mickey Mouse is in on it. Mickey's always in on this. <laughs> so they're gonna count it though, right? Like we're, we don't have to pretend like this well, didn't unfortunately, happen. Unfortunately, they'll count it. It's actually gonna be a, a title that we can say, yeah, LeBron won that. Yeah, and the, it counts. The narrative Anthony of Davis won. Yeah, that. I was gonna say the narrative of that is not gonna be LeBron. It's going to be Anthony Davis wins his first championship. It's so ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. He's it's, been the best player. Oh yeah, another three one four to add to the tinfoil. Don't forget the Kobe passing away too. It's all about all roads lead back to the L.A. Lakers. And you know what else happened? LeBron James and Anthony Davis were two of the best players on the planet. And the rest of their team stinks. Uh, If you told me I've got one game to win today, I'm taking LeBron James. Oh, wow. Put put Anthony Davis back on the Pelicans. Let's see if he's winning a title with them. Wow. I don't know if LeBron's winning without Anthony Davis, though. LeBron's winning without AD You need good teammates, guys. You need good teammates. This just in. Did it, he did it on his own, pretty much. <laughs> he did it on his own. Put that I'm team on his back. Jerk. He carried it I'm to championship. He did it on his own. He had a flu, and he put up yeah. 60. He did he it on his own. He was hungover. 65780 <laughs> is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Are We Sure? Guys, are we sure that the Baltimore Ravens right now are a top five team in the NFL? 
I ask this because I was looking on Twitter earlier today. Oh, everything's true there. And Ryan Clark, who you very much like. Love him. Former NFL safety, now ESPN NFL analyst. He does not have the Baltimore Ravens as a top five Hmm. team in the league. He has the Chiefs, the Packers, the Bills, Seahawks, and Steelers as his top five teams in the league right now. Jamie, are we sure that the Ravens are a top five team? Well, based upon Ryan Clark's picks, I'm sorry. I know the Buffalo Buffaloes are 3-0 and right now, but I still think Baltimore is better than Buffalo. So, Ryan, buddy, as much Clarky, you and me, I love you, man, but you're wrong on this one. Baltimore's he, definitely one of the top five teams. Yeah, I agree with that. Buffalo's in there because they're 3-0, and and Josh Allen's a wily player, but Baltimore's the better team. You put those two head-to-head, Baltimore's going to win 9 out of 10 games. I, right now, if you're looking at where these teams stand today... I would have the Chiefs as the best team. Oh, and my God. We found Bal- a way to get the Chiefs in, didn't we? And Baltimore number two. Ooh, I've ooh. still got You're Baltimore, Baltimore number two. You're Baltimore over Seattle? I do. Um, I think their defense is better. I think you are a more well-rounded team in Baltimore, and I think they ran into a team that nobody was going to beat on Monday night. And that's not me as a Chiefs fan saying that. That's like what, when Andy Reid is at that level of play calling and play designing – they could have gone up against anybody and it was going to be a nightmare scenario that that was the worst case scenario i actually think that the i would take the patriots this weekend plus the seven against the chiefs i think they're going to play them close the ravens are really good the seahawks have a problem with that defense and same thing for the packers packers and seahawks both have a defense problem ravens do not I would have them still number two for me in the NFL. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Final one here from the 314. Guys, are we sure that the Cardinals aren't going to end this series tonight against the San Diego Padres? Jamie, you think this thing ends? Yes, I do. I really do. I think that... uh, Look, the Padres got a couple of electric bats, to say the least, in their lineup. But I'm confident, guys, and this may turn around and bite me, you know where, but I'm happy that Adam Wainwright's on the mound in a you know high-pressure situation. Some of the bats came alive yesterday. I'm, I'm very confident that this thing ends tonight. I am, too. These guys are a different breed. I'm talking about the Cardinals roster with Mike Schilt when it comes to these short series. Um, last year in the NLDS against the Braves, which was the five-game series, they were just a different monster out there. And I think when you got on the, the a team like that on the ropes that doesn't have the pitching that is a worn-down bullpen, I think the Cardinals are going to pounce like they did yesterday on Zach Davies. I think you guys are right. I think they're going to win tonight. And here's something that could be really interesting if they do win tonight. I'm looking at the schedule right now. The Cardinals would not be scheduled to play again until Tuesday against the winner of the Dodgers-Brewer series. The Dodgers. Uh, (laughs) And that's the most time that they would have off, I think, all year outside of, obviously, the quarantine. But since they've been playing, that's, what, four days off? That'd be huge for this team. We just saw what two days off did for Paul DeYoung. I wonder what they would look like if they were actually able to get a little bit of rest. Well, they're going up against the Dodgers, so that's going to be a tough series no matter what. But you could set up your rotation however you wanted. Everybody from the bullpen is going to be ready to go. Man, winning tonight, that could set themselves up really, really nicely for what it would obviously be an unbelievably difficult series against the Dodgers. We've all got them winning tonight. Hopefully that is exactly what happens. You'll hear it all right here on 101 ESPN pregame coverage at 545. First pitch coming up at 6.05. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We cross things over coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
in Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's cross things over with the fast lane. Anthony Stalter is in studio. Stalter, how you doing, man? I love that beat. It's great. I love that drum beat. I'm always out of breath after, dude. It's like the Phil Collins coming in the air tonight. My, my college, my college is calling me. Oh, go chips! I can feel it. I think it's feeling in the air tonight. In the air tonight. You owe money, right? You're late on your student payments. Would you? Would you, will you donate, please? Yeah. That's what this. That's what this call is. I just is. finished I those, donating. Mm -hmm. I get those from yeah. Mizzou, and I'm like, you guys do realize I got a journalism degree, right? Like, yeah, I would love to donate to your school, but go ahead right. and call the guys that you have at ESPN. The yeah. BK uh, sound booth at the uh, football stadium. I'm gonna make a big donation. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. The Brandon Kylie zone. The Brandon Kylie. What I get that Jamie muff. Rivers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When I get that Jamie Rivers uh, pay raise, I'll, I'll go ahead and listen, dude. You donate. picked the wrong guy. <laughs> go to Google and see what I was paid. You I think I could get. Guy. I think I could pick up like one of those knobs on the the board Whoa. there. I'll I'll oh. pay for a, a Mike Muff or a Mike Stand. Oh, That's pretty much he's, what I've got. Yeah. Now he's paying for Muff. So, who do you like tonight in this football game? Nobody, Stoltz? Kylie. You know that. Look at that matchup. <laughs> we have we have reached the depths of hell in the NFL. If the Jets and the Broncos are squaring off on national TV. <laughs> Having said that, I'm going to fade the third string quarterback. I'm Ooh. taking the Jets. How have your picks gone this year? Fine. The, on the pick and pull? Yeah. Yeah. I, not not bad enough to get shot. Not good enough to How are lead you guys the feeling team. this week about your picks? I feel good. I, I'm solid. You feel good about it? I them. feel really, like, really, uh -oh. really ridiculously good. Oh, this wow. is going to be bad. <laughs> it's going to be so bad. I just killed myself. Do you have an upset? I got one upset. I do have an upset. Uh, what the heck game? Well, I you think guys I have multiple upsets. Keep talking. I'll figure out what the, the game the is. you like, Stoltz? Minnesota's going to get their first win on the road. See, that's the game I'm having a lot of trouble Deshaun with. Deshaun Watson. Mm -mm. Mm, both of those teams. You got, like, cornered animals going into that one. Mike Zimmer, did you see his press conference the other day? He's a little hot. Ooh, he is testy. Somebody was asking him, they, they basically started a question with, hey, you know, you've given up the most points in franchise history. He said, if you've got a question, go ahead and ask it, but don't give me your opinion. Wow. Sir, it's a fact. It's yeah, not an it's opinion. a statistic. It says right here. The game where I have an underdog here, I think they're an underdog. I could be wrong. You guys are the degenerates. But anyways, hey. I've got, uh, sorry about that. I mean, I mean, you know, it's with love, okay? As much love. love as possible. I've got the Colts beating the Bears. I know uh, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's not an upset. <laughs> well, it is if you look at the records, right? Mm. Pretty sure they're favored. Yeah. It's a small favorite. <laughs> Way to go, Rips. I got the Bears in that game. I got Atlanta be beating uh, Green Bay. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> this would be the game they would win, though. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. If Green Bay doesn't score 45, I think the NFL should kick Green Bay out of the league. Meets 100 on the total score might actually be right this time. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Let's see. I'll put it at a hundred. Would you? What was your tiebreaker? Uh, meet eighty-five. Probably get close. Browns Cowboys. The hell am I supposed to do with this one? Cowboys. Are we sure? Yeah. We just get, we just finished our segment. Are, are, are we sure? Yeah, that, that, I'm sure. That's the side. Here, here, let me give you my Browns pitch. They uh, run the hell out of the football. Gross. The, the linebackers on the Cowboys stink. And they're just going to run it down their throats all day long. Nick Chubb finishes with 200 yards on the ground and three touchdowns, and they win 24 to 20. No? No? Mm -mm. no? Okay. No, I got Dallas winning that game. By the way, there was, there was a Cowboys fan that gave me hell a couple of years ago because 
I had the audacity of saying, hey, if the Cowboys, remember they gave up a bunch to get Amari Cooper? Mm-hmm. And it's worked out. So part of what, what I said that day was absolutely wrong. Give up a first-round pick for him. Well, it's kind of yeah. worked out. But I said, if I mean, not, gonna, it hasn't really, really worked out. But he's been a good player. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. So uh, what I said, though, I said, if you're going to give up a first round pick, why not? Why didn't you take Calvin Ridley in the first rounds as opposed to giving up a first rounder and taking Amari Cooper? And the Cowboys fan ripped me because Leighton Vander Esch, the linebacker, was having a good year. So looking back at that now, how we how we doing? Calvin Ridley's really good. He's disgustingly good. Late and can stay healthy. There you go. I'm okay. not going to say this too loud, but he's better than Julio. Right? I haven't. Oh, he is, no, he is. Right now. I haven't heard from him. I haven't heard from the Cowboys fan. <laughs> he disappeared. He jumped he, my ass. He did the Harry Houdini. When I said it, but uh, homeboy has not returned. Destroyed his phone. I'm for out. sure. Yeah. He's done. He Harry Houdini'd himself. Anyways, Dallas wins. I like, I like the Cowboys. Uh, can I give you one other potential upset pick? And this sure. one's going to be really gross, and it's not going to feel good oh. whenever you do it. Okay. Oh. Oh, hey. oh, Are we sure we're talking yeah. NFL here? Or? Uh, the Eagles else. over the 49ers. Don't like it. Oh, my God. Don't like it. Shut his mic off. Alex, gr- enough. Great. Great defensive line, backup quarterbacks, no receivers that you're really all that afraid of. And the problem with the Eagles defense is their secondary, a running game that's great. But again, great defensive line for the Eagles should at least somewhat negate that. And eventually Carson Wentz has to be at least somewhat respectable, right? How long can you say 40- that, though, before it doesn't like, matter? Well, you know I like Wentz, but I don't see it. No, no. The biggest problem the Philadelphia Eagles defense is going to have is that they have Carson Wentz at the offense. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to find a. I'm trying to find a good upset pick. He has no idea where his receivers are. Where's Jalen at? Jalen, are you ready, buddy? I might have picked the Titans over the Steelers, but you know that uh, COVID. It's not playing this week. Yeah, so. yeah, I wouldn't pick that. Uh, yeah, I like. I like the 49ers in that one. Okay. Kyle Shanahan can design some plays, boy. Who saw that coming? <laughs> Stoltz, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane? Well, we're going to talk about the big victory for the Cardinals. Dylan Carlson in the in the uh, cleanup spot. How does he lengthen your lineup? What does Wainwright have to do to attack this dangerous San Diego Padres offense? Brad Thompson will tell you about that. And we'll mix in some fun along the way as, as well. They should follow Jim Edmonds' plan again. Holy I like smokes. that idea. Jim Edmonds. Jimmy Ballgame. Jimmy Ballgame was... Called I mean, everything but Harrison Bader. Yeah, he was a little off on that one. Apparently, Bader wasn't part of the group text. He was not. That's all. I guess. Yeah. But Yachty, right, I mean, right out the bat, he goes, Yachty, two hits. Yachty, first two at-bats, two hits. He worked great. out pretty well. Yeah. Worked out pretty well for him. For Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. The fast lane coming up from 2 to 545. At 545, you'll have Cardinals versus Padres, game number two pregame right here on 101 ESPN. We will be back tomorrow at 11. Until then, the fast lane coming up next. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.